Hello and welcome back to Beers with Buds. I'm your host, Andrew Friedman, the Cannabis Sommelier. Today I'm joined by my good bud, Milan Vatisse. How are you doing, Milan? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? So good. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Every as soon as we met, I was like, oh, I need to have this guy on the podcast. You're 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 a great uh, conversationalist. I appreciate you have that. so many great opinions, and I'm super excited to just explore everything in your mind. But maybe you want to introduce yourself, and give people a little bit of your background, let them know who you are, what you do, and then we'll just dive into it. For sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Milan Vatisse. Um, I am one of the owners and the uh, mixologist behind True Northern Vapes, um, an e-liquid company based out of Calgary, Alberta. Cool. And uh, True North Vapes is different. As soon as I met you, um, I only have two big vapors around me in my world, but they knew your flavors and they were very intrigued by your flavors because you do things differently. They're they're super artisanal. Right. Um, a, a, a deeper level of complexity than what people might assume vapes are. Right. That's what we try to do. I mean, there's there's so many e-liquids out there. There's so many different companies who are all, um, I guess for lack of the better word, trying. But uh, we really try to push the envelope when it comes to our flavors. We really try to give somebody uh, an experience that they haven't otherwise had, something that isn't available in the real world that you can only really taste if you're buying one of our products. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, what's... Tell me about some of those cool flavors, because I don't remember any of the combinations, but they were great. uh, A couple of our most popular ones, Nectaris is hands down our most popular. That's one hell of a fruit blend. Uh, You're looking at papaya, fresh melons, little touch of citrus, bilberry, aloe vera. Very, very complex, but uh, ultimately very, very smooth, quite accessible. Um, The other one we got a little bit of notoriety for is called uh, Shield, and it's uh, basically based on the Shield region of Canada. You've got uh, hints of trees, you got cedar, spruce, a little bit of juniper, uh, and then all the berries that grow natively in the region. So we we really do try to do something a little creative, I guess. For our international listeners, there are a few different sections to Canada, and the Shield is what, Ontario and yeah, a little bit of Quebec? Right. It's uh, it's it's kind of in the eastern area. Yeah, exactly. Ontario, Quebec kind Tall of Tall trees. Huge trees, rocks, moss. Beautiful, beautiful. Lots of beautiful. rocks. That's one thing I noticed. Very large rocks. It's very interesting as you go from east to west Canada, how um, settlers brought like this different idea with them. It was almost the same, but it just transitions so slightly. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful regions in Canada. Uh, my girlfriend's actually from there. Ultimately, it was her idea. She smelled one of my concentrates, said, hey, this smells like home. And then uh, we decided to set out to make the shield. Oh, shout out shout out to her. Oh, yeah, shout out Robin. Thanks for listening. Robin, yeah, <laughs> you, you nailed it. You, you won them. You got the one with the notoriety. Oh, you need a good woman. I would be so useless without Sarah. Oh, truth. Man, <laughs> I'm same boat. Same boat. <laughs> Like ab, ab, absolutely useless. So that's cool. Um, so what somebody was explaining to me that there's different types. I'm probably botching this, but there's different types of nicotine absolutely. in vapes depending on, but depending on the voltage level or the or the size of the unit that you would be using to vaporize it. So that's actually a common misconception, which okay. I can shed a little bit of light on. Um, you're kind of looking at two primary types of nicotine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, your traditional freebase nicotine, as it's called, uh, that's basically your pure nicotine. That's what's being used in the electronic cigarette industry for the last, uh, since like 2004, when okay. lots of this stuff started. Yeah. The new one, though, is called salt nicotine. 
And uh, basically, salt nicotine is a lot smoother than freebase nicotine. Okay. Um, it doesn't have as much of a throat hit, which means you can add more of it. So salt nicotine became popular with uh, Juul. A lot of people might be familiar with that name. Okay, yeah. Um, they became pretty infamous for loading their pods with uh, 57 milligrams of salt nicotine, which is a crazy amount. Um, for legal standards in Canada, you can't actually go above 60 on a commercial level. So it's really pushing the envelope. Why would you want more nicotine? Like, we were both big smokers. We were just talking about how we were both Absolutely. like pack-a-day, two-pack-a-day smokers. I never even considered the nicotine level per cigarette that I was intaking. Yeah, it's that's a little tough to actually quantify. Like, a lot of people want to say, like, well, what's a cigarette to vape ratio? Like, yeah. uh, it, it tends to generally go for uh, how much you smoke versus how much is actually in the cigarette. Because with cigarettes, like, in, I mean, as you'd know, if you smoke a cigarette, you still want more nicotine. You're just gonna smoke another cigarette you don't have an option to increase the strength you have some nicot or some cigarette brands that are stronger than others right but uh the same kind of applies to nicotine except we spread it out over strengths so okay. the common strengths for our company for our artisanal stuff mm -hmm. is uh zero milligrams so nicotine free three milligram and six milligram what sells the best three milligram okay. three milligram hands down for the artisanal stuff okay um with salt nicotine we offer three different strengths uh 15 30 and 45 which is still a far cry from the 57 but uh, it gives you that option if you want to be, uh, for example, vaping less. If you're used to, say, a 3 milligram and you pick up a small pod device um, that has 57 milligrams, you're going to be hitting it a lot less. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. But is it, so you mentioned that it's less harsh on the throat, but if you get that high dosage in, is it, again, becoming harsh, harsh the more? Interesting. And so uh, why would you have... A nicotine free one do like people actually want it so that that's actually a good question and uh for a while we wondered why we were carrying a zero milligram mm -hmm. um the stance that health canada has taken on vapes is that it's not a nicotine cessation device okay it's a harm reduction device so the okay. zero milligrams are out there for those who want to use vapes the way, um, I guess for lack of a better word, they were originally intended. You switch from cigarettes to vaping, you slowly reduce your milligram over time until you hit a zero. At that point, it's a habit, and you just need to break that habit. You don't have that nicotine addiction, you've weaned yourself off slowly over time, and then you've decided to just stop. Hmm. So we do still offer the zero for that reason. I actually know quite a few people who, um, who've started at like 32 milligrams, 24 milligrams back in the day. And now they've moved their way down from 12, 6, 3, and now they're just vaping a zero, and they just stick to it for the flavors. Because a lot Which of the is awesome. Flavors, I just like yeah. smoking. When I quit smoking, I quit smoking because I started smoking twice as many joints. I was like, you know what? How much am I spending on cigarettes? I'll just roll lots of joints, and every time I feel like smoking, I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke. And man, that's I mean, smoke a joint before you smoke a cigarette. Man, that shit's so bad for you. Cigarettes yeah. are so bad. Well, a lot of this, a lot of the legal cannabis I was tasting and testing, as I smoked those, you know, at least cigarettes burnt with a bright white ash. This, the, the cannabis is like, you know, when I can taste chemicals in the cannabis. Yeah, it's, that's disconcerting. Like, what kind of standardized test is this passing? I remember Sarah got poisoned by um, Aurora because they acquisitioned cannabis from Organogram. They did a recall on it because there was microbutanol and all these foliar sprays. She got super bad respiratory infections and now has symptomatic asthma because of it. Um, has a puffer after all of this. And um, they're like, oh, well, we 
Aurora, we went above and beyond and tested organogram stuff for stuff that they didn't test for that was already approved by Health Canada. And that's how we found out that there was this extra thing that probably hurt you. So we're the good guys. And to me, that was just such a cop-out because, you know, um, from two levels of huge licensed producer, you're you're selling poison to people on the medicinal side. Yeah, which is right? crazy. Like, on the medicinal I, I, side. They were my LP for the longest time. Yeah. I remember this going down. Like, that was... Uh... It's just, That's it's, spooky. None of it ever hit me, but this is actually the first person I've heard of in person that I actually know of who's been affected by it. Yeah, but I, uh, it made waves, man, and for good reason. It was dangerous. In my defense, I was away at the winery working, and I couldn't vet the cannabis that Sarah had ordered from her licensed producer in the medical system um, that she trusted. And so right, that, and we need to be able to trust these people. If they're going to be our licensed producer from Health Canada, if Health Canada is going to give them the approval, I mean, it's different now with legalization, but at that point in time... There's still only 120 choices. Well, yeah, exactly. If that, because there's only, you know, approved to sell in Alberta right now, I think there's 28 or 35 licensed producers. Don't quote me on that number. I'm pretty sure it's 26. Not enough. Um, Yeah, if you only have 28 options, imagine walking to the liquor store. Well, I guess this is how it was for beer 10 years ago. You walk in the liquor store and there's 20 options for beer. I don't ever want to go back to those days, man. <laughs> yeah, screw that. Screw that. <laughs> I want my that. hundreds of craft options, man. Yeah, it's nice. It's the good stuff at. I love craft beer. It's uh it's part it's a huge part of what what this show's about. It's Absolutely. what it's it, it's what makes this show. It's the namesake of this show. We have beers with my buds. Right now we're drinking a cocktail. I oh, did it's this. Lovely. I'm glad you like it. Oh, the smokiness at the end that finish is just Ah, uh, Supreme. This Love cocktail it. is totally inspired by Cannabis Encyclopedia. Rye Pritchard from Bong Appetit. Um, got to know Rye over a few events, talked to him in the DMs, and we fell in love over Negronis. It's a drink that we really shared a, a big love for. And um, then he start, He was the one that put the Mezcal twist on it. And, oh, and he, what a twist, man. It's oof. Well, he's also the one that was like, put a splash of cold brew in it, too. And that's what I did today because you came in with that coffee and I was like, okay, let's try this. Like, let's try the drink that Rye's been telling me to do. And then I garnished it with the mandarin rind and it's just popping. It is exquisite. I'm Absolutely exquisite. Glad you like it. I'm glad you like it. I'm, I'm a big fan of this drink. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm sold on it. I would drink these all night. I'm all about the drinks that have something else to them. I mean, there's beer's been around forever, alcohol's been around forever, and we're at a point in time where people are really starting to, uh, I guess, further their craft, mm-hmm. try to go further with these things. Like, uh, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about the uh, the hop battle. Oh, yes. When craft beer first started coming out, who could get, who could bring about the hopocalypse faster? <laughs> and just the fact that people are willing to do that and put themselves out there with these crazy, crazy profiles that aren't otherwise uh, normal, I, I got to appreciate that, man. Like, there's there's a certain artistic value to it that I, I really, really appreciate and i'm glad it's happening yeah being unique is uh and carving your niche is cool you got it man that's the only way to make it do something different for everybody listening do something different i guess um (laughs) still nobody watches the cannabis and wine pairing like on youtube it's so funny to see the videos that have hit and that have thousands of views and the stuff that i thought would work in in time and we're still waiting on that time but like it I swear to God, man, it'll come. You you have your people who enjoy craft, who enjoy somebody else putting their blood, sweat, and tears into something new that they've brought about. And, uh, I mean, look at the huge craft beer 
um, resurgence through Calgary. Calgary is now one of Canada's hotspots for craft beers. We have breweries opening up every week all over the place. And frankly, there's not that many that aren't good. They're all great. At least the ones that I've tried. And it's uh, having that choice is just... Is 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 it is great. There's uh, 39 craft breweries in Calgary now. I think is the number. I'm just throwing these numbers out there hardcore. I seem to remember reading a number. Uh, this would have been at the start of the new year, and they were saying by the end of, uh, I want to say it was 2019, I think they were saying it was going to be uh, just under 90. In Alberta. In Alberta. Yeah, for which sure. Is crazy. Yeah, 90 craft Alberta beers. If you think that every single one of them brews five to eight beers, probably 12 beers with their seasonal beers, like... That's a lot of competition now. That's Absolutely. a thousand beers competing for 12 taps in every bar. Right, exactly. So they have to be the best at what they're doing. They need to be pushing something different. They have to, as you just said, carve their niche. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about, man. It's a scary time. I think it's a scary time for craft beers, actually. Because, like, you know, there's a lot of great craft beer that's not even being noticed. Yeah, man, there's, there's a couple that I've had just... Uh, traveling through bc i i love a lot of bc beers Mm. i love my alberta beers don't get me wrong but bc has some uh, absolutely exceptional exceptional breweries um one of them is four winds out of delta whom yeah it's great absolutely adore and it isn't until a couple weeks ago actually this would have been new year's eve the first time that i actually found them in calgary oh really uh, yeah it's actually a co-op of all places yeah co-op is has is a big supporter of them great selection where in the city do you live uh i'm in acadia Oh, okay. If you're in Acadia, have you been to the bottle shop in Avenida? No, I haven't actually. Oh, it's incredible. Um, what's it called? I wish I could plug them right now. Um, on on the podcast. On home. God damn. Yeah, it's sick. Like they have some serious nerdy beers. Definitely nerdy beers. That's the good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah, it's a it's a beer nerd shop. Uh, Avenida Beer Shop. Hopefully, it pops up uh yeah collective collective craft beer shop i don't think i've ever heard of that yeah it's pretty new closes at seven um it's in avenida so go uh it's right beside my house yeah i know i know (laughs) this is all i did for years it's like oh where do you live in the city okay this is where you should buy this liquor it's the way to do it man although that's good it wasn't a long drive for you a lot of people are like oh you're out in the middle of nowhere no not at all man it was was like 12 minutes yeah 12 minutes tops love it just down the cloud i love that man um so what else you do you go do you snowboard do you go out snowboarding this year you know what man i used to snowboard ages ago i loved it absolutely loved it my whole family snowboards and then uh one winter i got too busy with work yeah and i haven't been back since i haven't like go to the mountains i go hiking and stuff but i haven't i haven't actually snowboarded in probably about five years and you know what man it wasn't until having this conversation right now <laughs> that i even thought about how much i friggin miss it like, we're so close. We are so blessed to live right beside the Rockies, and I'm not taking full advantage of it, and it's in a little bit of guilt right now. Uh, you, you know, there's literally still a month and 10 days yeah, where no you doubt. can go, you could go out snowboard. We were out on Monday, and it wasn't like, you know, it's spring skiing, but you can still go rip it, but then there's, like, different difficulties when you're in the mountains. Right. Like, I'm, a, it's, it was, it's so funny. I always go with Sarah. And I'm like, I used to ride competitive freestyle snowboarding and then really? I started, and yeah, and then I started mountaineering and like doing all this great fun stuff. And so like, I'm very confident on a snowboard. Like if there's one place where I just like feel really good and will do anything, it's on a snowboard. Um, so when I get into situations, like I, I'm not worried about them. Um, so we got, we got 
she she followed me and we ended up on <laughs> it didn't even mark it it didn't even say it was like a black and it was just like a you know it was like a serious like good 75 degree pitch of like wet skied out uh spring that's skiing the snow one stuff that's no fun on the snowboard when you get that steep slope and it's skied out if you have a steep slope and powder beautiful on a board any day of the week but it's when it gets steep and dicey that i'm not a huge fan of no i don't i don't think anybody is like into trees until you until you are like really confident on that snowboard i guess the one thing when i used to i rode mountain bikes too and the first time i went to cop to ride the like the big boy downhill courses um i went with guys that were like really good and they took me on the double black the expert line course and this guy was like rides up and he was so pro and i was like do you have any advice and he's like go fast yeah like like absolutely the more speed you have the easier things become because bumps aren't as big oh yeah and so i took that into like snowboarding i fucking ate shit let me tell you right now (laughs) i rode down that thing i hit like a six foot drop on my fucking bike and like i was like whoa and then you know what came up right after that another fucking six foot drop i ate shit got back up hit my bike i'm going for this jump and like i've been dirt jumping for years at this point i hit this jump and it's fucking huge in the trees and i just go straight up and i'm like oh straight down i'm like fuck this life turns into slow motion straight up i walked i walked straight through the trees and rode down the bobsled track i was like fuck this i'm done um but that that speed moment was a big teaching big teaching moment just point and shoot was really what i learned on a snowboard funny story about that not my story about my father's uh (laughs) this would have been i think the second time he was on a snowboard and it was at sunshine and you know uh you've been to sunshine yeah that monday yeah yeah perfect so uh i think it's underneath the angel chair you have that little bit of a traverse and it ducks down and then goes up a little bit okay um so you got to keep up your speed it's on like the standard blue i don't remember what the run's called but this was his second time on a snowboard and he was given that exact same advice so uh, he's uh, cruising down and he realizes there's this little bit of a dip and he decides like, okay, I can pick shoot. up my speed, point and shoot. So he just starts cooking it, absolutely cooking. The guy is flying. He is brand new to a snowboard. And then suddenly this guy above him on the chairlift goes, yo, bro, your board's on fire. <laughs> my dad looks up and that split second loss of concentration <laughs> windmills him into oblivion. But that's exactly what that reminded me of. Because at the end of the day, you, you gotta you gotta give her whatever the outcome is. Fuck, that's the outcome. And that bro up there was just like giving him compliments. You sled it, bro. It's on yeah, fire. Fucking classic, man. Man, I miss snowboarding. It's good fun. It's it's dangerous though. It is. And that's what that was the big moment. Like we were on that the top of that straight down and I'm like, okay, like you gotta go fast and it's like we get to the bottom, it's like I don't wanna hurt myself. Like I don't I don't wanna take that risk and I'm like Well it's not a risk if you know you can do it. It's- right. At the same time, there's no there's no other feeling quite like when when you're on one of those like really tough runs. Pure like, fear. Uh, pure fear when you're stuck on the ledge with rocks with a plank strapped to both of your feet and no way to get out of it. Dude, I got stuck in an avalanche. Like I set no off way. an avalanche. I used to ride delirium dive a whole bunch. And oh we, yeah, that's the one run I had never done. Because you got to buy the because you got to buy the yeah, mountaineering gear. I wasn't gear about and... to do the the whole like gear up. I wasn't about to do the training yeah. courses. It was it, my buddy who I used to go ride um, all the back country stuff with has been a ski patrol at sunshine for the last since 
since I stopped uh, going really hard and having seasons passes, he's been a ski patrol there. He's now the guy that throws the bombs out of the helicopter to set off the avalanches. Crazy job, man. Um, but yeah, he was... It, it, it really pushed me to some crazy, scary places. Uh, Absolutely. Which is awesome. Man, there's nothing... There is nothing scarier than when nature goes wrong. Oh. Like, man, I remember uh, I took this one course. It's like, sorry for this total tangent. But uh, I remember in university, I took this one course that was, uh, I took Rocks for Jocks. And then right after I took, I think it was Geophysics 375. And I took it as an elective just because I needed another science. And okay. uh, it was natural disasters. Have you ever heard of a lahar? No, no, no. So the lahar is like the scariest friggin' thing I've ever heard of in my life. What basically happens is it's a volcano with an ice cap. Volcano erupts, all the heat and the pyroclasts mixes in with all that snow, melts it, and basically makes superheated concrete that flies down the mountain at 120 miles an hour. <laughs> it, abs absolutely insane. Avalanches alone are scary, but imagine an avalanche of superheated cement. And that's a real thing that happens on our planet. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, natural disasters are a real thing. Like a very, very, very real thing. Very scary thing. That's fucking intense. It rains molten concrete. Absolutely oh. insane. Absolutely insane. This planet we live on, man, it's something else. Well, it's, it's, yeah, I talk about it all the time that I'm surprised there's no like desalinization. Well, you listened to the podcast before you yeah. came. I'm surprised there's no desalinization projects going on. But then what happens if we start drawing all our drinking water from the ocean? Right. Who knows? Is it better to just run out of water? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about this science the, when it okay. comes to desalinization. But, I mean, it's an interesting topic. And, I mean, with fresh water going the way that it is, it's... It's, in, it's intense. I saw that report that said Canada is warming at double the global double the rate. rate. Yeah, I read that last week on Reddit. But I, I would also wage bets that... Uh, that's the same case in Russia because of where we are located. Absolutely. We're, similar we're, climate. We're, but we're literally close to where the destruction's happening. Like global warming is happening at double the rate here because you can't see the spikes in Texas, Southern California, middle America. Right, it's cold enough here that we notice. Exactly. I mean, look at this winter. This winter was the perfect example of that. Shit, well, it was crazy. It was so warm until, like, what, January 15th? And, and then it was a polar freezing cold until, like, nuts. for, like, 45 days? And then out of nowhere, it was just nice again. Yeah. And now it's spring. Gorgeous. And it wasn't even fake spring. That's the craziest yeah, part. Yeah, we normally get that one fake out where, like, in kind of mid-March, it's like, oh, it's lovely again. And then end of March, we got a dump of snow. No, it didn't happen this year. It was so weird. This but was it was a weird year for weather, man. It was intense. And remember last year how much snow there was? Insane like piles and piles and piles but this year there was so much snow too like driveways were built up it was crazy it dumped a few times and i'm and you know what but there's a reason you didn't snowboard this year too is because when it got good it was basically like because the hill opens late november so you have december and december was really really warm this year and then january you're getting into your thing you got that christmas new year's lull where you're not going to do anything and then January hit, and it was, again, it was, like, warm, but there was n not much snow going on in the mountains, whatever. And then it became freezing cold. And I wanted to go. We had passes that we meant we were trying to use for months, but it was like, I don't really feel like going snowboarding if it's minus 25. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, I used to ski too, and I didn't mind the cold so much when I skied. I found it was a lot, I don't want to say easier to maneuver, but you can deal a lot better on the crust. Okay. And when it gets really cold, it inevitably gets crusty if you don't have a fresh dump of snow. But mm-hmm. on a snowboard, man, I find it way harder to deal with. Oh. That might just be me personally, but like that that crust, I can't deal with it. Just gotta can't dig him deep. Gotta dig him deep. Just gotta give her. Just gotta dig him deep, bud. That's what it's all about. That's how she goes. That's how she goes. I have a song called uh, That's Just The Way She Goes. A bud. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, do we... Tell me about your song. What do you play? You, I, we talked about on, guitar. Yeah, on the guitar. It's a it's a great song because I've, I I I was a freestyle rapper for a long time. I was a rapper for a long time. No and way. I, and I love freestyling. It's one of my favorite things to do. I do it every morning to like wake my brain up. Um, but the song, I I never wrote hooks when I did music. Uh, when I was like writing music God, and get stuff. Them hooks, man. Yeah, and so I had this song, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna start writing hooks, and so. That's the way she goes, a bud, and then you sing it back, a bud, a bud, and then it just keeps going. And so basically, every verse is just, um, it's just like a a really easy eight bar rhyme. Um, I don't know, like I usually make it up every time, depending on who I'm singing for. I I see a R.A. the rugged man right there. I've been a big fan of him, man. That guy, he knows words, man. I got to beatbox on stage with R.A. the Rugged really? Man. Man, uh, definition of a rap flow. That was the first R.A. the Rugged Man track I heard, so I was quite late to the party. Oh, uh, you were really late to the rap. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I've always had a fascination with flow. I love flow. Yeah. Whether it's uh, impeccable wordplay like R.A. Um, I'm a huge fan of MF Doom just because his yeah. his words barely make sense, but his flow is impeccable. So oh sick. God, I love it big big fan of the flow i always wondered what it'd be like to freestyle but man it's my brain doesn't work that way i'm a i'm a visual guy not so much a word guy honestly you talk eloquently enough and you have a big enough vocabulary it's really easy um the reality of it is so here's how i ended up rapping i think i told this story in the last podcast with harm franklin who's a who's a rapper and um so i was like 13 years old and I was dressing like a like a gangster kid, like a sag loke. That's uh, what what was referenced yes. to, and uh, you know, double XL white tee and my my pants around my knees. And I'm at my buddy's house and we're smoking. And um, this guy's like, "Oh, dressed like a gangster? You better be a rapper." And I'm like, "No." Nope. Back it up. And he's like, he's like, "Rap battle me." And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm a pretty confident guy. I like to take things on, on just <laughs> head first. And I'm like, okay. And this dude just laid into me. Like he went so hard. I'm raping your baby sister. And that was the line that caught me. Cause I was like, oh, you don't know anything about me, but I have a baby sister. And it fucked. And I was like, I was like, fuck, there's no way I'm going to beat this. So I went home and I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to be beaten at a freestyle rap again and i just started like rapping to myself all the time so that i got comfortable saying words and what i realized really quickly was that you just well it's just like it's it's just like anything the more you practice the better you get uh and then it started being way easier and you develop like patterns of words that you understand and you know and you have like a large index of rhymes that you can reference in so many different directions that really 
help you and then you have your and then you have your callback uh uh words right like yeah. when you get stuck like oh uh, you know some people get stuck on the motherfucker bitch or whatever <laughs> bad stuff um uh, now i end up uh you don't know me or like or like uh what's the other one i always say i'm trying to think about it anyways i always i always end up saying the saying the same thing over and over again but i guess that's what happens when you freestyle for like 10 or 12 minutes in a row i remember uh the way I actually found Ari the Rugged Man was because of the definition of a rap flow competition Contest. that he yeah. had, which was won by Afro. So inside if I there, recall. Afro signed the records inside, and it says "fuck Ari the Rugged Man" because I, I got him to do it. I was like, Afro, like, come on, write "fuck Ari the Rugged Man," and he's like, <laughs> okay, and okay. He, he's "fuck Ari the Rugged Man," and he signs Ari the Rugged Man's name. He's like, I don't even know why I did that. <laughs> he's like. Let me do it again. I was like, that's fucking sick. So inside there, it's Simon That kid Afro. is a legend, though. And uh, something that you actually just said, uh, I remember he said uh, in one of his interviews was uh, people were asking how this, like, what was he, like 16 at the time? Yeah. How the 16-year-old kid could come up with this stuff. Like, how, how did he do it? And he had basically said, just practice, man. Even when you don't feel like rapping, just rap. Like, just, and it doesn't just apply to rapping. God, I can't rap, but... Uh, I guarantee. I mean, you could. if you put enough effort into it, you know what, man? Anyone can do anything. What's that a they rap, really want to do? What's a rap flow these days, right? Like these guys just sing oh, into God, the shit. I have and... no idea. I can't. I can't handle this modern, uh, whatever it is, Gucci Gang kind of stuff. Not a fan. Not for me. If that's your cup of tea, I'm all power convi- to you. I'm but... not convinced either. But yeah, if it's your cup of tea, if that's your shit, that's what you like. Let them live, man. That's what you like. I don't like that. <laughs> that's the way she goes man that's the way she strokes, goes different folks. <laughs> but like uh i just remember that and that really stuck with me the kid was basically like uh whenever i had free time anytime i had free time doesn't matter what it was i would look around a room in a waiting room if i was getting a checkup or something and i'd see various things around the room and he'd just practice and practice and practice and practice learns more words and that's the only way you get good at anything man Ten thousand hours to become a professional thousand hours and i am damn close on flavoring yeah i I did the math a couple weeks ago i've been doing i've been making flavors for uh almost five years now and i think i'm just mid eight thousands i think i've got another 1500 to go before i can officially call myself part of the 10,000 hour club on my one thing intense i can definitely say i've put 10,000 hours into cannabis oh yeah i don't doubt that for a second man (laughs) you gotta you gotta it's and what a thing to put 10,000 hours into and i mean and what a time to have that 10,000 hours behind you i got lucky you know my introduction. I was just talking this about with this dude, uh, Professor Buds, on Instagram. <laughs> what a name! I love it. He used to be Doctor Buds, but he's taking some flack about the whole doctor <laughs> thing. Not a real doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out, Professor Buds. Um, but he was talking about. I was talking about how uh, it was Strain Hunters, the Strain Hunters documentaries, yeah. the Greenhouse Seeds made with Ariel and the King of Cannabis and Frank Aloha. Rest in peace um that started my cannabis education i was like 14 15 years old on youtube excited about cannabis and these guys were producing like feature film full-length documentaries about exploring for the best cannabis in the world and uh without that base knowledge and the jumping off points that i got from finding those guys and being able to research them 
none of this would have ever happened. I would have been a, the same uninformed cannabis consumer. And I actually remember seeing at my buddy's house while everybody else is doing other things. And I'm just sitting there like obsessed. I found it and I was just kept watching. Ar- Arion, king of cannabis. Anyways. It's legit, man. Like I, I remember a time when, uh, when nobody gave a shit. Uh, mm-hmm. When I first, when I would have first gone into cannabis, that would have been high school, like a lot of people. Um, I didn't give a shit. And nobody who I hung out with gave a shit either. They were just looking to get stoned, looking to get high. That was that. But it's it's kind of a different era. It's kind of the same thing with beer. Like, at one point in time, nobody cared what beer they drink. They'd just grab a bunch of mm-hmm. Budweiser's, and that was that. But now we're in a time and place where we have people who are producing, um, I guess, a higher level of product now. Mm-hmm. People are putting effort into these researching the strains. Like, I mean, it's always been there. It's always been researched, but it's that knowledge has now become not necessarily commonplace, but definitely a lot more easily accessible. Well, the word terpene blows my... Like, I've been pitching the word terpene for like four or five years now. And Terps are in everything. And, yeah, and but, everything. No, but nobody had ever heard the word before. Absolutely. And now with cannabis, it's like this hot word. Like, everybody wants to ask me... First thing they want to ask me, what's the terpene I should be looking for? What terp, what, what dominant terpene profile? What's the dominant terpene profile? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, if you don't know, like if literally anything, the last thing you should be worrying about is what is the dominant terpene? Like that's, that's why I try and talk to you about it. Like these are the flavors. These are the smells because right. Aromas is the easiest way to start talking about terpenes. I find yeah, uh, it's, it's a lot more accessible to be talking about how something tastes and smells than, uh, singling it out. Cause I mean, realistically, any one of these cannabis strains you're going to be picking has uh, a breadth of terpenes, tons of terpenes. Yeah. I think um, they've said that there's 198 or 212 yeah. terpenes that can be found in cannabis. Yeah, and that's cannabis alone. And every one of those terpenes that are found in cannabis are found in generally larger quantities somewhere else. Yeah, in nature. Well, I, I have uh, True Terpenes sent me a great package of, Absolutely big of, fan. of all the base terpenes. And it's so interesting smelling beta-carophylline, beta-carophylline, however you want to uh, say it, um, which is your favorite. A I remember, personal I remember. favorite of mine, yeah, absolutely. Not at all on the raw what I thought it was going to going to smell like and because i had been told and i had done this research this is what it is but these guys have gone out they're chemists they run a large very well researched and funded company to know and find the pure essence of beta carophylline carophylline however i'm supposed to say it please you know honestly i don't actually know either there's so many words even in the vaping industry like diacetyl diacetyl i don't know i don't know actually how to pronounce it but Okay, perfect. So, um, <laughs> self-taught man. <laughs> but yeah, that t- smelled way different. Mercine um, blew my mind. Mercine's crazy. I thought it was going to be much more sweet and tropical. No, it was actually more sweet and tropical than the piney evergreen that I thought it was going to be. It was such a more interesting balance, heavier on the tropical side, and I was like, hmm, okay. So, but then I found that it's that blend of alpha pinene and myrcene right. that sets off that Kush note. Exactly. And like, uh, with, with me, myrcene was, uh, I was told immediately when I first learned about myrcene that it was, uh, like, I, the mango thing was the first time I heard of myrcene. Yeah. Like, the classic myth. Oh, yeah. I you, don't know if that's proven or not. I haven't tested it, it myself. No, it's not proven. But uh, for people who might not have heard of the myth, the myth is that if you uh, eat a mango... 
while you're smoking, you will get higher or experience uh, more, I guess, of a stoned coach Can I, can I tell you the science behind Absolutely. the idea? Okay, so the, the myrcene uh, makes the blood-brain barrier more permeable, uh, so you're more susceptible to THC. But that doesn't count when you eat something interesting okay i haven't actually heard that from the edible side i don't generally eat edibles because well to equate like that would be like saying if you have a salad with a greek dressing or an italian dressing while you smoke a joint it should hit you just like a sativa right isn't that not saying the exact same thing eat a lemon while you smoke a joint and you should feel uplifted effects yeah but you've never heard that. It's right. just eat a mango exactly. and you get more stone. So there's there's no proven evidence. I know a, there's a lot of anecdotal things. Right. But, but I mean, it's a clear placebo. Yeah. The mind's a powerful tool, man. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, which I think might be an interesting thing to talk about, is uh, the power of suggestion mm-hmm. when it comes to flavors. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's such an incredible tool. Like, there's, there's so many tastes out there uh, that we can draw back to, that we can compare to and stuff, but at... Kind of at the end of the day, um, oh, where was I going with this train of thought? Uh, I totally lost flavor, memory, flavor, it, memory, right? So, uh, flavors are memories, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, we can only we relate taste five to things, right? right? Sweet, salty, bitter, sour, umami. umami. We smell millions of things, but everybody's smell is just a different memory, right? Exactly. You can only... And that combination is what creates taste. Absolutely. Right. Olfactory sensations. Mm-hmm. Um, Hence the shield and why it's right. that place so, in Canada. To pick on the shield, for example, um, for my job uh, as a mixologist, I guess for lack of a better word, for an e-liquid company, um, we use food-grade flavorings. Mm-hmm. The same food-grade flavorings that are available to everybody else, the same stuff that goes into your soda drinks, the same stuff that goes into everything. It's, it's food-grade flavoring from the world's biggest food-grade flavoring companies. Mm. Now, these guys don't have a flavor that tastes like rocks, trees, dirt, any of that. They got the berries, but what we basically did to get the shield is blend several of these flavors together uh, to get that sensation. Mm -hmm. And then we tell you it tastes like nature and berries, and it does. Honestly, it does. But that power of suggestion... Um, it, it won't always come across like that to every person. Everybody's palate is a hundred percent different. Is there anybody that blind tastes vape flavors? Uh, I do it all the time. I double blind everything I make. Cool. You should start a YouTube channel doing that. Ah, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, you should. I'm sure you get a lot of samples as well because of your industry. You should rip all the labels off it. Blind. You know what? That's actually a good idea. I don't think anyone's doing that. Yeah, that. I can talk about flavors forever, man. Like, honestly, you want to be the vape guy that's the fucking way to do it and how easy is it for you to make that content oh it's so easy i mean i've been doing this shit for years i know that my flavor is like the back of my hand well exactly you know the flavor so you should be able to dissect like oh this is probably a mix of this 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 and this and if you're blind tasting and proving that knowledge god you will be the the guy for for vapes as you said tobacco is investing millions and millions of dollars oh, it's crazy and all man. they're look all they're going to be looking for is a personal brand and you've got the mustache and the glasses <laughs> the mustache to be the to be the to be the connoisseur right like and that's and that's all it takes is being the guy who can blind taste vapes and understand the quality and and tell you about the ingredients in it without actually ever seeing a label 
That's it, actually a fun game that we play locally. Like I've, I know a lot of the local juice mixers, and one of the fun things that we always do is hand each other new mixes and try to figure out what flavoring is in it. At, at the end of the day, there's... I mean, there's so many flavor producers, but at the end of the day, most vape companies are pretty much pulling from the top six. Yeah. And they've got very recognizable flavors. So if you've spent the time one-on-one with each individual flavor without mixing them, you will start to notice its little, um, it's like their nuances and stuff. Yeah. It's just like tasting wine. Dude, you have to do this. If you don't do this, I'm going to be pretty upset. Okay, done. I'll do it. I'll do it. And you can, and you can make it all. No, don't try. Just keep doing it consistently. Do do not. There is no try. Thanks. Yoda. Yeah. Shout out to Yoda. (laughs) Shout out to master Yoda. Um, but yeah, I think <laughs> Big fan. Star I was, Wars bo- poster on I was born on May the fourth. So ah, May the fourth be with you. Thank you. I have a Vader day. tattoo here too. Oh man, I love the Star Wars. Love um, Star Wars. Yeah, so I think that's a great way to like position yourself and and create not only your brand to have more market share, but your own personal brand. And how easy is it for you to make more content on top of these YouTube videos? Just filming yourself in the lab explaining the basic things you know you don't have to give away the full cookie recipe but there's a lot of people looking for the information that you probably know and have found out like i was saying earlier the youtube videos that hit were not the ones that i expected to hit but they're all the ones where i share my little piece of inside knowledge that is super basic to basic to me but isn't so basic to everybody else right i mean where we've both been thrown into our respective industries and we've fully immersed ourselves in them like this mm-hmm. this is second nature to us at this point but yeah. for anyone else who isn't familiar with this kind of stuff it's it's all fascinating like i remember the first time i dove into um diy liquid when i first started mixing my own juice i'd mm-hmm. never planned on making a company or anything i was just spending way too much money on the vapes man so i had to find another way to make that more cost effective i found that i was pretty good at it and then you dive in but i i remember my mind being blown when i first got into this stuff about what people were doing with flavors and uh in the industry we call it bending and it's super common with um with a bunch of other things too basically what you do is you take a flavor that doesn't belong you take notes of that flavor and uh, you make it do work in a different aspect. Um, as an example, uh, a flavor that we discontinued, it was called Sigla. It was designed to taste like, a, have you ever had skier before? It's uh, it's an Icelandic yogurt made with skim milk. It's quite <laughs> similar to Greek. It has a very bioorganic taste, um, very, very rich. But there's no, there's a yogurt flavor available that you can use, but it doesn't really taste like yogurt. So it's kind of up to us as the mixologists to throw in curveballs, to throw in little essences of certain flavors. Like, for yeah. example, we used kiwi to get that bioorganic taste. Uh, there's no kiwi in the skier. It was it tastes like wild berry, but that kiwi note gave that sharp acidity that you get from yogurt. Right. Um, to keep that natural bioorganic taste present. I love it. It's like a splash of petite verdot in your Bordeaux blend. Bam! There you go. I don't even know what that means, but I'm gonna nod. There's say you're, I do. You're allowed. Uh, you're allowed Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Petit Verdot in a uh, Bordeaux wine blend. But on the left bank, you're gonna find Cabernet Sauvignon uh, dominated blends, and on the right bank, you're gonna find Merlots, and Merlot, and you might even find 100% Merlots. Um, but on the left bank. A lot of the time, the Petit Verdot is very small growing. I think it equates for 2 or 3% of the actual grapes growing. 
Um, but it's that splash that sometimes makes the... That certain je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Exactly. And it just sets it off. And it's so fucking good. I'm just getting into wines. I find everything to do with wine absolutely fascinating. Like, uh, I mean, I've... Since I was 18, I always liked wine. Wine's solid. It's well, look good. at your mustache. You have to pretend you like wine. Well, I'm getting to the point that my best friend is, uh, he's got his level two, which I believe you said you got as well. Um, three. You're three? And a Canadian wine scholar, yeah. No shit, dude. Wow, that's crazy. That puts you in what? Like top 15%? Uh, there's not that many with a level three to my knowledge. No, there's not a lot of people that like get accredited. The yeah. best people I know, my best mentors in wine have never set foot in a wine class. Really? Yeah, they think it's hokey. Good on them, man they could learn they could probably learn something ah everybody can never stop learning yeah it's the most single important thing that was ever said to me in my life is never stop learning yeah the second you stop learning just give up shout out to master chef michael almier for saying (laughs) and instilling this in me and and this idea he first time i met him i had read about him we had and we we went for coffee and in all his interviews that i had read it said like I'm a dedicated, lifelong learner. Absolutely. Forever and, student, man. And we sat down, and that was like, you know, three minutes of the conversation. That's what he said. I'm a dedicated, lifelong learner, and this is one of five <clears throat> master chefs in Canada. There's a hundred and some odd master chefs in the world. And this dude's like, yeah, I'm just still trying to learn everything I can about cooking. There's only one way to become a master at anything, man. And that's to A, not stop learning and B, dedicate yourself to it. Mm-hmm. It's time. Mm-hmm. It's time and effort. Yeah. He's hitting that hundred thousand hour club. Man, that's crazy. That's something else. I would love to get that exceptional at one thing. You can. Oh, it's, of course. Anyone can. As long as you make your hobby, your passion, your right. career. Right. Then it's easy. If you are fighting uphill all the time and you want to do your hobby as you're living or, you know, your hobby is your side hustle or whatever it may be, if you're not doing what you love full time, then you'll never be as great as you could be. It took me uh, two almost degrees to land on vapor products. Uh, I started as a computer scientist. I was going to school for, uh, I was going to be a code monkey. I was ready to just strap in front of a chair and type, 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 do code nonstop. And I hated it. I couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, that would sound, that would be awful. Hey? So I dropped out and I was like, you know what? My, one of my passions is art. I guess I'm going to do uh, graphic design. Let's give that a go. I almost finished the degree. And then suddenly in trying to quit smoking, my homie's like, yo, try this vapor product. And then I fell in love. It, it, it'll just hit you one day for any of those guys who are confused about what you want to do. It'll come eventually. Be patient or look for it or look for it. Think Absolutely. about it. Think, ask the person closest to you. I got lucky. Yeah. What are you good at? What am I good at? Ask your fucking mom. What am I good at? Mom? <laughs> mom. Ask your girlfriend like, Hey, what am I actually good at? Cause I think that's a Make hard. Make it work for you. It's a hard question to ask somebody. Like, what, what am I good at? I'm I'm fucking terrible at a lot of things. Oh, straight up, dude. Time management. <laughs> I'm really bad at time management, and I wish everybody knew that. Like, I'm so fucking bad at time management. Dude, same. Uh, what am I good at? Talking. Uh, I really like entertaining people. Um, I like to be the center of attention. You know, all things that at certain points in my life could be defined as negative quality traits i guess um are what i really want to turn into my lifelong passion like i want to be a host i want to be an educator i want to be a speaker 
because that's what I like. It's what I'm good at. Sort of curiosity. Why would you? Why would you say those are negative traits? Mm, I guess just in some in certain scenarios. Um, one thing that's really hit me my whole life is like think before you speak, and it's been a hard thing uh, to work out. Easier said than done. Yeah, and then you know the also the idea of like uh, wisdom is heard, knowledge is spoken. Um, you know, sometimes maybe I talk to just hear my own voice. It happens, man. <laughs> and maybe that's why I have a YouTube channel and a podcast, right? Hey, man, but it works. Like, it, I, I just found that interesting saying that, uh, like, you saying it was necessarily a negative thing. Like, I uh, I grew up fairly quiet. Okay. Fairly introverted and stuff. Okay. So, those are all traits that you mentioned that I have always had great interest in. Something that I've always worked towards, like talking and being eloquent and being uh, a good conversationalist or something mm-hmm. that's something that i work on right that's something that i really strive to get better at because it's not something that really comes natural to me so just interesting from yeah. an, just to give you a no, side I, perspective to it I, and i yeah and i guess in turn i wish i could like shut the fuck up and just listen more often and just take it in um as opposed to again being the center of attention because I know that those things do happen. not And it's not always a, a negative thing. I guess it would only be a negative thing if you were always around me. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess, again, self-awareness is a superpower. Yes. And when, when you can be aware of your... Man, that's well put. Yeah. Because, you know what? Like, how do you teach self-awareness? You, you, can't. you can't. But once you understand what you're good at, what you're bad at... Um, how to control some of those factors things seem to get a lot easier um i'm still trying to figure out time management and how i get better at it one day we'll figure it out man i'm in the same boat if i had organization and time management yeah i don't even know maybe it's just like one day if i had an assistant that'd be great because then all the irrelevant stuff that i get sidetracked with would just be done and i I have alexa she oh yeah Hi, Alexa. She's sleeping. No, she's awake. Alexa, set an appointment for me at 1 p.m. tomorrow to call Milan and say thank you for coming to the podcast. Oh, it didn't like what I had to say. <laughs> so, nah. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Yeah, Technology, fu- man. Something else. Well, that's why she's fired. Like, <laughs> Why would I think I was getting a good deal for 30 bucks for a robot assistant? Like... And this is what kills me. We got a Google Home downstairs. I got Alexa up here. And the the, the freaking thing can't even... Like, I wish I could use the speaker to plug it into my computer, but I can't even do that. We have a uh, we have a Google Home at home right now. And uh, God, I hope my roommate doesn't listen to this because he's going to hate it. But it, we use it as a light switch. It uh, powers two lights. Awesome. Hey, Google, turn living room light one on. Turn living room light two to blue. And that's about all I've used it for. I'm sure he has other uses, but right now it's a $100 light switch. It's pretty cool, though. But, I mean, what a world we're living in. Like, Yeah, you get to talk. How crazy is that? Like, uh, it may work, it may not, but the ability to just speak and say, like, yo, set an appointment for me at 1 o'clock tomorrow. How crazy is that? Alexa. How crazy is Siri? Set a Google Calendar reminder for 1 p.m. tomorrow to call Milan. Okay, I'll remind you tomorrow at 1 p.m. Thank you. Thanks, Alexa. There we go. Freaking slick. I know. I would like one of those. It would be cool. I went to a house in Bel Air, and they had these in the roof, in all the 
in, in all the rooms and they were all wired centrally to, uh, to surround sound. And I was like, Oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's my bomb. I love that. That's pretty slick. Have you seen the, uh, Oh, who does the LEDs, the smart LEDs? Well, you have, the smart yeah, LEDs. Uh, we have a uh, Philips ones. Okay. Yeah. Philips so the Philips the hue, the Philips hue is what I want. And I want to do the entire house in Philips hue. And they have the light strips as well. And the light strips are going to look so cool in my backyard uh, once we develop it, like underneath the stairs and stuff. Oh, heck yeah, dude. In the kitchen. <sighs> okay, the hues are actually amazing. And the, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an art student as we just uh, mm-hmm. talked about. Um, so I did color theory for a long time. Oh, and, uh, I'm colorblind. I, really? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever met anyone. Oh, wait, no, I have. My girlfriend's father's colorblind too. What kind of colorblind? Uh, I can't see like blue, purple, uh, red, can't see red, purple, red, green. Oh, like I can color. see, I can see color. I just don't. Doesn't get, perceive the same way. Sh- yeah. I, I can't tell the difference between brown and burgundy, uh, white and light pink, light pink and light green. Like I got nothing. Have you tried those chroma glasses? No. But, I see all these video of people putting them on and like bursting into tears and stuff. And they well, look pretty freaking amazing. But when I do LSD, I can see vivid color way more colors so are you seeing them or are you no i'm seeing them okay there's I'd... there's a neuro pathway something that's opening perception up there that would be really interesting to explore there's yeah there's 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 something happening where i am truly seeing more colors so those uh back to what i was gonna say about this yeah studying color thing. um i decided to mess with the google home on the colors and i started dropping like a whole bunch of colors that most people wouldn't know exist like chartreuse the worst color known to man i hate it but it's yellow or green well exactly it's like vomit yellow green it's terrible (laughs) and nobody should like it but it knows what chartreuse is and it can make your lights chartreuse i was going roan red i was going Payne's gray i was going aquamarine chartreuse like the the hues in these light bulbs are incredible roan red is an interesting one for you to mention roan red is interesting yeah it's a dark brown because it's a color of wine oh is it yeah roan wines Oh, well, there you go. I've always wondered where that name came from. Yeah. Huh. I've learned something today. <laughs> well, I was like, I was like, oh, that's weird that he'd mention like, Roan. Yeah, no, I just know it as a painting color. Roan's red. Yeah, I'll get a picture for you right now. You, anyways, keep talking. Yeah. You go so, with the uh, shitty colors. I, it just blew my mind that, like, I find myself at this point in time, like, I don't know, maybe it's just that I'm getting older, but I'm asking myself why so much more. Like, why do we need a hue light bulb why does it exist because it's dope right that's the only reason you need yeah it's amazing what a time to be alive i always go back to this uh i remember it was a i want to say it was louis ck who was talking about like uh some guy at the airport bitching about how his flight was late his coffee's cold and he's sitting in an airplane in a chair in the sky taking a journey that would otherwise take people a generation to make in an hour what a time to be alive man even talking earlier with terpenes and stuff we're, we're able to experience and really dig in scientifically to these compounds that have been around since the dawn of time and we're really now being able to splice them apart take them apart rebuild them which is I think fascinating building mm-hmm. your own terpene blends that aren't naturally extracted, but uh, what a time to be alive! It's cool. Twenty nineteen. There's more opportunity than ever right now. More information in the last. What? It, oh, man, I don't remember the stat. It sounds super cool when you say it, but I'm probably getting it all wrong. It's something about like uh, within the past century, there's been more information created than there ever was 
for the billions of years prior. For sure, because it took scholars to create information before. Well, right. And now, now every jackass can do mine. it. Yeah. Anyone can edit a Wikipedia article on their phone. It's insane. You learn something new. You can learn something new every day. Wikipedia, There's let's no talk about this. There's no excuse anymore. Do you know a lot about Wikipedia? Uh, n- I wouldn't say a lot. It's intense. I'm going to start telling you about the back I'm door of Wikipedia. I'm very used to going down the Wikipedia hole where I'll start learning about terpenes and then like... Oh, no. Like, I'm talking about the actual business structure of Oh, Wikipedia. no. I actually have no idea. I'd, I'd love to learn. <laughs> it's Lay it on me. It's fucking... Okay, so they're... From Wikipedia's inception, they made a panel... <sighs> keep messing up these numbers i'm sorry for everybody but everybody shouldn't expect to remember all these numbers it's between it's 680 or 860 moderators in the entire world for wikipedia and what these moderators do is like the only way you can get a wikipedia page is if you get on the radar of one of these moderators and they can find enough source articles to build a wikipedia page about you right so getting a wikipedia is like really hard but once you have it it ranks you so high on search engine optimization. Oh, I don't doubt that for a second. Because the first thing that comes up will be the Wikipedia page because the Wikipedia right. is partnership with Google. Anyways, um, but the back door to this is if you're not notable enough, so you can basically create a, uh, a Wikipedia submission form to these people and pay, like you pay money to submit it to the this group of editors um but it can be rejected because there's a lot of there's certain criteria that wikipedia pages are built on like there's a format of the writing just like sources man well it's it's like a it's like a doctoral thesis where you have to write in a certain structure for it to be published and it's just one of their old stupid rules so you can learn that you can do that you can submit it to these people for money be on their radar but what they also will do is like the rogue ones you can just pay them basically between 800 and 1200 us dollars and they'll write a wikipedia page for you man in the grand scheme of things for the seo boost that's actually not that expensive i know i'm giving away a huge tip right now personal marketing like holy hell yeah it's just like knowing that the you have to kind of deal with this dark web piece right like fascinating stuff man i remember reading uh there was a i i mean i spend so much time on reddit man reddit is one of my vices it is it's a very nerdy place it is such a nerdy place but there's so much information there and it's it's an easy way to parse through the information quickly that you're interested about mm-hmm. like if, if you only have a couple seconds to look down and you want to learn something really quick uh, i personally believe that subreddits are a great way to do that i mean there's a whole lot of shit that comes with reddit no but they're, you're right because a lot of the things i learned about lps uh a lot of the strain lineage all these things like a lot of people R-M-M-J, have a J, man people have a lot of time yeah and they are willing to do a lot of research um absolutely i mean that was i wouldn't have a business doing e-liquids if it wasn't for reddit uh, i started mixing okay. from reddit and then from reddit found a lot of the more um for lack of a better word underground mixing communities um that are really trying to do some crazy stuff and that's where i got pulled in deep but it all started on reddit man because that was an easy place to find a wealth of information that i was interested in mm-hmm. and you can set your interest to whatever you want like cannabis that's how i got back into cannabis and medical marijuana my doctor had recommended it and then the first place i went wasn't google it was reddit, reddit. to the medical marijuana communities because i didn't want to read an article 
uh, at the time. I wanted to hear anecdotal opinions. experience and yeah. opinions. I wanted to know if there was people like me who were going th- through what I was going through mm-hmm. and if that could potentially relate to me. And here we are. Yeah, and you don't want to see the, the SEO BS. That... Right, exactly. Because it's, I mean, it's it's a very real thing. Anytime you're Googling anything at this point in time like people are paying to be there well people need to understand that the internet is for sale bill c45 made that a reality and that um not only google adwords is working to prioritize information um in your search engine optimization but there are also other entities and this is the hardest part when i had the conversation with sarah because I don't know who the entities are, but there are other entities that have vested interest in creating different ideas. Like the word propaganda didn't, I, I'm not just making it up. And propaganda is interlaced in all forms of current day media, whether you like it or not. And that starts with Everyone Google. Everyone has an agenda. Everyone has an agenda. Everyone you will ever meet on this planet Earth has an agenda. Yeah, are you a are you a a, a politics guy? Are you like a, a current? You know current? what? I used to be. Okay. Back when I was a teenager, yeah, and then I just didn't have the time, was, and okay. it was bumming me out, man. I was gonna <laughs> ask if you knew about this Jody Wilson Raybould game. They just Trudeau kicked kicked her and Dr. Jane Philpot out of the yeah. Liberal Caucus yesterday. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, it's pretty. He's a bad guy. It's interesting stuff, man. Like, uh, to do with the internet for sale. Um. I have an argument very frequently with my roommate about uh, Facebook. Okay. Facebook is easy to pick on because, I mean, almost everyone uses Facebook. They're, they're so big. Um, he was getting upset that, uh, and I mean rightfully so, uh, free speech is becoming a lot less free than it used to be. You're not able to say what you want when you want, especially on this platform. But what people are forgetting is that Facebook is ultimately owned by a couple people it is a private company it they can do what they want and the same goes for google yeah it's something that we take for granted in everyday life it's something that we all use day in day out non-stop and, and people just, just think it's free people just think google right. is the internet people just think that it's free but it's not it is a private company and they can show you what they want to show you don't forget about yahoo and ask jeeves they didn't work oh, for a reason. ask jeeves r.i.p <laughs> they're still around though are they yahoo no ask jeeves i know yeah no ask jeeves is long gone (laughs) man i remember ask jeeves well and see like how many search engines failed right how many other search engines are out there friggin msn is a great search engine how many people still use msn i can't i i was probably 13 years old the last time i used msn as a search engine there you go my dad still uses msn um but google dominates and again google has a clear agenda Right, and if, that's if, the thing is like if they didn't, they wouldn't have like I bet we could go on Google's website and find their mission statement right now. Right, but I mean here's here's my other side point, which tends okay. to be a lot of people don't like this opinion, but they they can, they have all the rights to do that. It's a private company. They they set it up. They did all the work. I don't think why people think they should get free speech in written form. Like how stupid. Can you be to think that you should have free speech in a written context that never disappears? Right. Like, why the fuck? On somebody else's platform. Why would you want that opportunity to make yourself look like a fucking asshole? For eternity. For eternity. Like even, um, uh, I watched this great documentary on Shlokovsky 
and I love his art. I love his his surrealism. But then you know they're they're halfway through the documentary, and it's like, oh, he was a he was a hardcore Jew basher and Nazi sympathizer who wrote a lot of uh, anti-Semitic propaganda. And at that point, like the whole documentary changed. I didn't knew, know any of this about it. I I liked the the art, the art a lot. And then it was like you know the whole documentary. The next hour of it took a really dark turn because like how can you look at somebody the same once you realize that they're a nazi sympathizer right and and they're an anti-semite right you wrote that down he could have had that opinion in private and none of these people he met 30 40 years later when he wasn't that person anymore would have ever found that out about him but it got published and back then publishing something wasn't as easy as it is now you can hop on facebook type up a status bam published Yep. For eternity. Yeah, there it is. And you people, can delete it. It's not deleted. Well, There's going to be a record somewhere. People can screenshot stuff so fast. Like exactly. The Cardi B thing. I don't know if you've seen oh, this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely wild. Three, absolutely wild. That blew up over the past week. Well, and out of nowhere, three year ago, memes, man. live stream, like somebody recorded her live stream three years ago and then decided to make it a thing. Drop it a bomb now. Now. Yeah. She wasn't a big deal three years ago. Now she is. Well, I mean, she was getting She's there, a big but... deal. Big deal enough for somebody to record. Well, exactly. And it's uh, it's such a crazy, crazy, crazy time we live in because anyone can publish anything at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And she shouldn't have said that. She shouldn't have said that on yeah. her free speech probably should have been negated a little bit. Right. Like we need to be very careful i guess at this point in time like here we are putting ourselves on record speaking into a microphone yeah telling recording. telling people not to talk about how <laughs> telling they people not to rob people right exactly but like it's it's just it's almost become so commonplace that like what what really can we do about it at this point you can tell people not to post stuff like don't get into stupid arguments don't online jackass. don't be a jackass do unto others as you would do yourself that's how you win you Cold can do it man you can do whatever you want as long as you're not a fucking racist or a sexist or uh have some crazy extremist ideal like absolutely that's it say whatever you want as long as you're not a fucking nutter right i one of the things that i've always said um and this is just my own i guess personal philosophy is uh straight up taken from bill and ted be excellent to each other do what you want as long as it causes no harm upon anyone else you can do what you want as long as you are not going to bring harm to yourself or someone else Mm -hmm. like i just feel like a lot of people have a really tough time with that every I don't know if I remember um, people being so full of vitriol about so many subjects now. Like, uh, even just talking about politics. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, politics is always a touchy subject, but, I mean, even scrolling through my own Facebook feed with people, acquaintances, people who I've met once, like, just seeing what they're willing to post and put out there... (sighs) Is it's absolutely shocking, especially with the election going on right now. Oh man, and, it's and, something else, man. Like, well, you know, like NDP, which is pretty like real left. Like, you know, people would—they're not extremists, but they're real left, like as far left as you can go. And then the competition is like Canada. extremist right wing. Like, and to think that the United Conservative Party isn't super hardcore right—you know, like there's been some pretty. 
fucked up stuff to come out of there. And you know, not that um, I'm saying I have any political affiliation or that I don't like the conservatives or that I don't like the NDP. Um, but in Alberta with the election going on right now, there doesn't seem to be a great middle ground. Which, honestly, is kind of shocking. Like, in the grand scheme of things, when you kind of apply Canada's, uh, I guess, political spread to a spectrum, they're fairly moderate. Everyone's fairly moderate, all things considered. Like, Mm -hmm. the far right isn't that far right down the ideological scale. Same with the far left. I mean, in Jason Kenney seems to be saying some pretty... uh dicey things he said some very dicey things in the past man that are not uh not that cool (laughs) really not cool you know the one thing i'm looking at between him and rachel notley like i know a lot of people are very upset with rachel notley because of the recession and everything that she stepped into but at the end of the day for me as like at my age um and and my careers um she did absolutely nothing to negatively affect me. Yeah. I mean, I, I can roughly say the same. I know uh, my roommate is a tradesperson. Um, okay. He was directly affected um, right, by cause... this. And he is die, die, die hard UCP to my knowledge. But I, I think this election, I mean, personally, more than any other time I have voted, uh... It's kind of, I feel like it's really up in the air. I don't really know what the general population is thinking. And for the first time, I don't really know what I'm thinking either. I usually vote Green Party, to be super honest with you. Hey, man, we need trees. Well, here's my thing. I want to be. I want <laughs> to be. That's the dumbest statement I've ever made. About no, the it's Green good. Party ever, but I, I'm serious. Like, I want to be a politician. It's important, right? I want to be good. a politician really badly. I want to go to school for poli sci. It didn't end up happening. And I'm, and that's why I'm really interested in it. Um, but every time I go to vote, I feel like having voter apathy and I feel like not voting at all because I feel like no matter what I do, everybody's a jackass. I've thrown one ballot before, to be perfectly honest. I did. Yeah. And I so, went to vote. So I, I vote, showed up. But Yeah. And then I vote Green Party. I show up because this is my idea. If I don't show up, then I have no right to complain. It's my civic duty to show go up. and vote. Yeah. Like, fucking, lots of people died for this. Lots of people Absolutely. don't have this opportunity. At the very least I can do is go and show up and make... And somebody's volunteering to take care of this electoral process. Right. They're not paid. I might as well go and respect their time and cast my vote. Even do if I'm going to... civic duty. Yeah, even if I'm going to vote for somebody that I know isn't going to win. Right. Which is so fucked up. And again, I, I have this battle in my mind all the time. I'm like, why am I wasting my half hour? Because it's better than not voting at all. Right, absolutely. Everyone listening to this who is in Alberta, go vote. It doesn't matter who you vote for. Vote for what you feel is correct. Mm -hmm. Support your own views, of course. It is a personal decision at the end of the day. That's how democracy works. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. Actually do it. Whatever. Yeah, just go and do it. Just go and do it. Exercise your rights. Work legally has to give you the time off, so, you know. (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Well, yeah, you, hey, you might as well get that. What is it? Two and a half hours? Two hours? Two hours. Two hours. You want a two hour break? Extendo lunch. It'll only take you 30 minutes. Hell, yeah. if you go at lunchtime on like uh, Tuesday through Thursday, like. Uh, well, there's only the one polling right, day. Exactly. 
but you could always I'm used to student elections. Here, here's the, here, here's the reality, guys. Let me give you the pro tip on how to get out of what work. What is the voting day this year? It's the, it the 19th. 19th. I thought it was the 18th. Uh, oh, it might be the 18th. Mm, 18th or 19th. It's not 420 though. It's, <laughs> it's not 420. God, no. if it's 420, I'm not going Dog, to vote. Get out because we're, we're having the events. Um, oh, you're gonna be a busy boy. Yeah, two events. I've never done two events in a day. That's gonna be a crazy day for you, man. Yeah, and we're doing more guests than I've ever done. And What's the headcount between both? 36. Oh, damn. But it might. Because of the venue that I got, I could probably push it to 50. Push it. Do it. It just needs to sell. Right. I'd rather be sold out in advance and have like people you know, wanting to come and like poking in interest and like me being like, okay, I guess I can do this for you, than uh, setting my bar up at 25 and not uh accomplishing my goal yeah that's legit it makes sense that's gonna be a crazy day though so what so i i mean i'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast before but not that I, much. I actually don't know a whole lot about these events that you plan and i'm super interested in it especially the dinner like the first time i heard this idea mm-hmm. it absolutely blew my mind like uh there's there's just so much you can do with flavors flavors is a Mm -hmm. huge passion of mine especially when it comes down to volatiles terpenes cannabinoids stuff like that Mm -hmm. and uh elevating that so i i'd just like to know a little bit more about the dinner itself okay let me give you the pitch yeah i don't think i've ever given the pitch in all you know in the 30 hours i've talked about perfect nobody's ever asked nobody ever asks about me i'm just kidding but um so the dinner well, the dinners that I do, I've been doing them every single month, different high caliber chefs. Um, this month I have chef Mike Pigeot, who is the executive chef for the home and away restaurant group, which is also a few other breweries and it's, elev- it's like high end pub food. Um, but chef, it's my stuff, man. Well, he used to be the, um, corporate chef for the Marietta's group. So he did all the menu design for, you know, one of Alberta's best Italian food restaurants that then ended up having multiple locations which is really cool so he hasn't done like super fine small plate dining in a while um anyways so it's five courses uh with six wines so what you can expect when you show up to the dinner is i'm going to greet you with a glass of bubbles um something cool something nerdy and then there will probably be cannabis somewhere around the venue that has been placed specifically to pair with your welcome drink um that's genius (laughs) i cannot express how genius that idea is thank you i don't know why people haven't explored it and like good on you for taking that step well because it's kind of illegal what i do um gray market man we operated three years in gray market before vapes became legal there you go you gotta do what you, you gotta do you gotta do what you gotta build your proof of concept build your customer base absolutely okay so you're so you're in there you're in the you're in the venue um and then it's a big the the most important part about the dinners is for me to normalize the conversation of cannabis make you feel more informed and just more comfortable around it and the new ideas so i always have very high-end cannabis stuff like rosin and different full spectrum extracts and pens and as many new things as i can bring from this tiny little one percent uh crazy cannabis bubble that i live in i try and bring all that information down so while you're having your welcome drink 
you know, everybody will, if you'd like to become intoxicated, this is one big thing. Not everybody becomes intoxicated at the dinners. Infusion is always optional. Um, about 20%, 25% of the guests don't actually infuse. They're just right there to hear the conversation of cannabis and dine with an amazing chef. Because at the end of the day, the value at $150 donation to end up at the free dining club is, um, is, is like an incredible value. You know, five courses, six wines, um, that's, you know, you, I mean, five courses, six wines alone, $150 is that's, that's really good. Yeah. And especially when I have like custom cooked, like, custom cooked. Yeah, absolutely. Infused if you'd like, yeah. uh, an extremely high caliber of chef. Um, so the dinner you'll, and you'll be, so we'll sit, I'll pour your first wine and then dinner will start rolling out five courses. Um, the dish is infused if you have chosen for it to be infused you'll probably see well you will see five milligrams of either thc or cbd throughout the dinner so basically a milligram a course uh if there's a cheese course or there's um fourth course is often not infused and then dessert will be a cbd just so that you can have that time period to feel a little bit intoxicated and then the cbd is supposed to um, negate the psychoactive effects yeah, of THC. Exactly. So just, you know, get you to a point where you're feeling good and then kind of keep you there or take you out of that realm. Five milligrams from what I've found in my research is like a really good place for absolutely every consumer to be. If you're a heavy cannabis consumer, um, there's the opportunity to do the herbal aperitif and digestif, the, the cannabis and wine pairing, like I explained when you first walk in, you know, and you and you can have some puffs, and then you're gonna have a, a very lightly infused dinner that'll be good for absolutely every consumer. And then there's a, a digestif, where the last wine that I paired with dessert um, is also gonna pair with another cannabis selection that will probably be out and about somewhere in the venue. Um, so we've gone through five courses. I've been able to give um, just a talk about how we did the infusion with the food, uh, talk about the wines, the ideas, the people, the places, the things, and then also give suggestions on cannabis that might go well with the wines and the food as well. Um, we used to do a cannabis pairing with every dish, but it just became too much smoking. And yeah, not to mention for newcomers, I'd probably rock their socks. Well, it's just not... Do you yeah. see that often? Like people getting going a little bit too far? Like I don't want to go as far as greening out. Only one time. It happens, but yeah. And that's when I was like, nah, no more smoking at the table. Yeah. Nobody can smoke at the table. Because then those new consumers feel too comfortable and almost intimidated by the uh, constant cannabis consumers. And I don't, I'm not able to have my duty of care giving them the intoxicant that I've invited Absolutely. I'm very glad to hear that because, I mean, that's that would be a concern of mine as somebody who, uh, like, I mean, I consume, we had this conversation earlier today, I consume cannabis frequently, mm-hmm. but I am not a high dosage type of person. Right. I don't seek that constant intoxication. I'm looking to remove symptoms. Yeah, like, from exactly. Medicinal value. But at the same time, I really like that you've opened that door to blend the two like say you want the light buzz say you want to get intoxicated both of those options are available to you or Mm -hmm. none at all exactly and the fact that you give people that choice i think that's i think choice is kind of the most important step towards normalization totally 
totally normalization of this industry i that's something i can talk forever about i think it's so incredibly important that it becomes normalized as soon as humanly possible but Mm -hmm. i don't know how soon that's going to happen it's happening today right well it's in the process of happening but until we actually how long do you think before we'd see um true normalization like where it's where it's common 10 years 10 years if craft beer took 63 years to get a craft beer granted license and you can't drink in a park, right? Um, you're not allowed to consume alcohol in public. These are the big arguments that people have around smoking. That. Then it's the same. It's, the same. it's, it's the same. just right now that the city of Calgary is saying maybe we should license parks and let people drink in parks like they do in Europe. Because alcohol... Because in New Orleans and Vegas too. I think right. You can open liquor laws, but it's because of the tradition and there and the lack of prohibition in those places. And when there was prohibition in those places, there was also underground cultures that perpetuated it and didn't stop. If yeah, we, there's it, a reason there's civil hotspots today, because they already had it in place. I mean, exactly. At, same thing with Nelson. Nelson. It, yeah, is, with cannabis, it was never not right? normalized. Or you look at France. People always drink. Yeah. Everybody drinks wine there. You drink wine with every meal. You can walk into a park and you can drink like these nobody's looking at alcohol like a demonized thing because it wasn't demonized within the last 100 years we have to remember that it was 1923 that alcohol prohibition ended in canada not even 100 years ago was it completely illegal to have alcohol in canada so just to see cannabis and the steps that's taking in the first year of legalization and to see how awake people are and the, the internet is a huge aid to this absolutely is like you know i see cannabis legal normalization yeah five years from now 10 years it's like a very normal thing um, but there's still a, there will still be a taboo around it. But in 10 years, you will see most developed nations legalize cannabis without a doubt. Five, yeah. Half decade from now, you will see America, Mexico. Um, Do you think all of America that quick? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not completely sold on the concept. Donald Trump of... will be the guy to legalize cannabis before he leaves office. I'm startled to hear that, but quote me on it. Done and done. Globe and Mail, I gave that same opinion to. Because of he's the a fact... He's guy. He's a businessman. He is a business. With interested investments, business. right? It's... it's For him to not give the opportunity to make that business... And also, he's such a piece of shit that what's one good <laughs> way to be remembered by, right? Like Get it done. <laughs> like, if anybody... If, you know, you're going through the history books and you're like, ah, yeah... Donald Trump fucking hates Muslims, hates Mexicans, legalized weed. <laughs> just checked one of the boxes. Well, and I and that's kind of like the Justin Trudeau. I was just going to bring that up. Like he's he's under a lot of fire currently in Canada, but ultimately, 10, 20 years down the road, are people going to be talking about SNC Lavalin? Are they going to be hope talking so. about the fact that he legalized cannabis? I think they'll be talking about the fact that he fucked up legalizing cannabis. Yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, how many listeners do you have listeners from outside of the country who aren't yeah. aware of oh my god so, we got lots of listeners all over the world uh for those of you who aren't aware with the legalization of cannabis in canada um we are experiencing uh pretty much the biggest drought we've no it's price fixing the drought is oh price absolutely fixing. yeah the, i mean that's ultimately what's causing it all but from a consumer standpoint we are pretty much unable to go in and get what we want because everywhere is sold out everyone has limited stocks 
They are controlling what's being released and when. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming an absolute shit show. My fondest memory of legalization up to this point was, uh, I think it was the day after it went legal and almost everywhere sold out. I remember there was this guy being interviewed in uh, Halifax. Okay. And uh, they were like, so what do you think of legalization? And he's like, well, I uh, tried to go to the uh, government store and uh, they're out. That uh, never happened with my regular guy. <laughs> and I that one hilarious comment just summed up the whole thing so perfectly. And that's it. And that's it, man. That's where we're at. That's it. It's a... Uh... You know, I recommend a very few legal cannabis brands, and those legal cannabis brands you c- can't fucking find anywhere. For my knowledge, what are they? Uh, Weed MD. And anyone else? Weed MD yep. is great. Um, and uh, Seven Acres is great. There's no hiding that. And I also had a really good experience with um, Fireside. I, I only tried Fireside. Yeah, I only ever had one, I had one gram from Fireside. And it was it was pretty good. Um, I think it actually garnered like eighty six points on the video. Um, and at first, I was embarrassed to say that, but I've also created an an LP kind of scale versus like scale of cannabis that I'm used to. Yeah. Because like I just mentioned, I kind of lived in this weird little one percent bubble, or I live in this one percent right. bubble. You know, like I smoke the finest extracts that the country right. has to offer. Yeah, you know how many people in Calgary have the same stuff? I can count on literally two hands. I've probably met half of them through you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Like exactly. Uh, I was talking to the one gentleman who I'm writing the book with. This guy who's uh, my favorite extract producer, and he was like, "I really want to do an event in Calgary. You know, we can go and we can show off my extracts." And I'm like, "Honestly, I don't want to do it because." I know that it's going to be the same 30 people who already have the opportunity to access your product who live in this 1% bubble with us that are going to show up. And I have no desire to impress drug dealers. Straight up, man. <laughs> and that's and that's a hard reality. I'm trying to do this for your mom, your dad, right. everybody. The people that are scared to be in cannabis, the I don't like, I don't, I don't care to try and convince somebody with a heavy opinion already. Absolutely. Like, and it all comes back to that normalization. Um, do you want to talk about that, uh, CBD? Oh yeah. See, this would be perfect when you had the video. So I sent, uh, Milan this picture. It was a, they were menthol CBD hemp cigarettes literally cigarettes with a filter with a with a with a cotton filter with the same wrapping like in the in a in a cigarette filter but it was chemically hemp. cut i might add chemically cut and the way that they advertised it what and this was from high times magazine that i saw this it was on their instagram and it was a terpene rich hemp high cbd blend that was then barrel aged to preserve terpenes <laughs> that was then um, flavored with menthol and put into a cigarette wrapper for the finest flavor. It killed me. It, it absolutely like a, killed me. And it was a pack of Marlboros. Right. It looks exactly like a pack of Marlboros. Like rooftops. Like white box. It, the whole shebang. Marlboros heavily invested in cannabis. Now that I th- Oh, 100%. Now that I think about that product, it's probably a Marlboro product. 
I didn't actually think about that until you've mentioned that, but it, it probably is. The I way mean, that it was the bri- cuts. Exactly. Nobody has those rolling and cutting tools en masse like a cigarette company. That's exactly who they've gone to. A, a tobacco company is almost guaranteed co-packing it. Oh, I think making it. Or making it. It's their product. I think it's their, I think it's their product because I know five years ago when I was trying to get into the industrial hemp business, um, that's what tobacco was looking at. Big Tobacco was investing in industrial hemp with the farm bill passing in in America in October and granting that CBD rich hemp product. That was literally all yeah, that was a big move. Yeah, and Philip Morris, like it's been no no nobody's been hiding it uh, that Marlboro and Philip Morris have been heavily invested PMI. in in uh, in cannabis and hemp. And there's probably like that product. I bet they have like we know that there's tens of thousands of acres of CBD rich hemp growing all over the United States right now. I don't know if you saw any, have been watching any of the trade show stuff going on in the States, but people are selling, uh, cause hemp, hemp, I'm doing air quotes, uh, is cannabis, but the cannabis that they've bred is hemp. Hemp is qualified if it's under 0.6% THC and it can have any cannabinoid content that you want. So people have just bred extremely CBD rich cannabis and are yeah. growing it under the guise of, of, of hemp. And, right. s- and so they're going to these trade shows and they have these huge outdoor growing buds, big, beautiful trichome laden buds that are like 17% CBD, 0.2% THC. And they're completely and legally allowed to sell them in recreational medicinal states because, absolutely. Oh, hold on, hold on. The FDA only has a problem with CBD introduced into food products. You're allowed to sell smokable hemp anywhere in the United States. Right. You're not allowed to buy CBD. Mm, I've got to back this up again. CBD is still a Schedule II drug, so it is still technically illegal in every state that hasn't created a recreational cannabis program. Right. So there is a very, it's a very convoluted pattern right now of what's going on path of trajectory not pattern yeah path of, so it's i mean i think that's i'm gonna pour you a beer i'm gonna move this other oh, way right on, man, what, are, what are we uh what are we having um i have an electric unicorn or i have a tiger shark oh give me the unicorn he needs a unicorn let's try it i've never electric tried electric unicorn it's got a great label and so this is another great talking point is cannabis has such strict um marketing restrictions yet this can of beer looks like a 1980s heavy metal van like this this um, unicorn shooting laser beams out of its eyes with lightning in the background in bright turquoise and purple is pretty magnificent absolutely if you could put this on a cannabis package you could actually build brand identity but you cannot. You can't. And it's the same with vapes. I mean, I can talk for hours. Oh, really? Absolutely. We have incredibly strict um, labeling legislation through vapor products um, that just came through with uh, the legalization of vapor products. Because as I said before, it was a gray market industry. Um, huge thing going on in the States right now with uh, how they are allegedly... Oh, thank you so much. That meniscus, though. Oh, yeah. Um, huge talks in the States right now about how... Cheers. Uh, yeah, cheers, cheers my man. Uh, the prevalence of cans and bottles like that, that might be appealing to children. So, Oh, that looks like a soda pop. Absolutely it does. It straight up looks... I could expect that to be a cotton candy cream soda. That's why I drink them in public. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'm not there an alcoholic. Go. Bam, bam, bam. 
But uh, there's a huge debate going on in our industry right now about what we should be allowed to put on the bottles. And the government of Canada is basically saying, uh, you can't put anything uh, that has a person, an endorsement, an animal, uh, no fun, anything. Which I totally understand. It doesn't normalize it too far. Yeah. But uh, cannabis follows the same thing. We are really, really, really limited on what we're allowed to put on our packaging and what our packaging is allowed to look like. Uh, and they're claiming it's for the kids. So this is how you build a brand identity. Going back to the YouTube channel and you blind tasting those flavors and you being a person, you having a brand identity is how you can brand product. And that's, and that's basically what I had the thought Ooh. of doing a long time ago and why I started the Canvas Somalia to some extent. Well, yeah, I mean, we need, again, I, I'm going to say the word normalization probably a hundred times over the it's rest of this, yeah. but it's it's so terribly important in both industries that I'm so interested in, cannabis and vapor products. Uh, Ten years ago, I mean, don't get me wrong, vaping is still terribly nerdy. I love it, but vaping gets shit on all the time, and it's going to be a constant battle, and it's going to be the same with I'm cannabis. On this. I'm about to have a dab, and I'm just going through the container ooh, ooh wee <laughs> ooh wee oh that's a spicy boy don't ask me what it is because it's a blind taster but <laughs> but it's like uh the the one thing that kills us in the vaping industry is we look at the alcohol industry which would be the next closest thing to nicotine would be alcohol why don't you look at the tobacco industry uh because they are already incredibly restricted and one of the arguments so, is that okay yeah. what we're messing with isn't tobacco but you, it's nicotine. It's nicotine. You're taking the butt. The best part of tobacco. Right. Nicotine comes from basically any plant in the nightshade family. Tomatoes have nicotine. Eggplant. We actually had a... Uh, I tested this nicotine. Uh, most nicotine is straight up tobacco derived, but it's removed from the plant context and it becomes strictly a chemical and free base formula that gets suspended in a base. So yeah, okay. So no, I, li <laughs> I, I listened to what you said. I just had to think about it for a sec. So uh, it's it's completely removed from combustion and from any other chemicals that would be otherwise treated in a cigarette. Okay. Um, Do you want the first sip of this? You can have one little tiny puff. Oh, I know you might grow I'll, I'll give it a tiny yeah. little baby. How does this operate? Just sip on it. Just, Just suck it on it. Nice and slow. And you'll be surprised at how much you get. So if you might, don't even worry about that. Yeah, that's good. If you just microdose, that's, a, that's enough. Oh, that's tasty. Oh my god, is that ever tasty. Mm, that's a good flavor. Very florally on the back end, very herbaceous. So much musk and skunk. Like this is I'm into that. This is definitely a dank indica. This is definitely one of those strong, big when people would describe it, they'd call it the gas. The gas. Uh, I totally forgot what I was talking about. Are Labels, things being labeling the problem. Right, so they're basically saying that uh, there's huge debates over flavor, and this is going to apply to the cannabis industry as well. It's going to be nicotine and cannabis by fold. Um, it is an inevitability, in my opinion, um, and I'd say you can quote me on this, that uh, sooner than later, vaporizing cannabis will be the way to go. We know that combusting things is not great. This summer, you're going to see, because... I think uh, one thing we should we'll reference is that only um, dried plant matter, cannabis plant matter, is legal to sell and possess in Canada right now. As soon as there's a solvent added uh, for the extraction process, <coughs> it's illegal 
and you can only make edibles at home for your own personal consumption. You cannot sell them or do anything like that. So as soon as this handheld vaporizer, exactly what you're using, is able to be sold at the dispensary or at the cannabis retailer. Right. We're not allowed to call them dispensaries, by the way. It's, that's not... Cannabis retailer. Uh, officially a licensed cannabis retailer. Because a dispensary would be for a medicinal purpose. Yeah. A cannabis, a cannabis retail outlet. Um, once we can buy carts, five ten threaded carts, it's game over for smoked cannabis. That's. I wrote an article about the modern host where I called joints prehistoric. Yeah. And uh, I have a very strong opinion on joints. I've never been a guy for joints. I mean, strictly speaking, from the fact that it's not only just combusting, but the fact that it's a constant slow burn. Like, if if you're smoking a couple joints a day. You have no idea how much cannabis you're wasting just from that slow burn, just having it down by your side and you passing it to your buddy, that little swish of air, that oxygen is getting onto the cherry. It's yep. lighting more. You are wasting. It's like drinking so out of a faucet. Much. Right. Absolutely. It's yeah. it's just not efficient anymore. I say it all the time. I'm like, shout out to the wind for smoking my blunt. Dude. Yes. Exactly that. Like it's, it's a very, very, it's, it's an actual thing. So... Um, part of my interest as a vapor company is the fact that, uh, again, in the normalization of cannabis, we have people like you and I who give a shit about what our cannabis tastes like. We are mm. able to have a hoot and say the profile is amazing. You got herbaceous, you got the piney notes, we can pick out them terpenes and all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, if your mom's going to start smoking, what is she going to prefer? Is she going to prefer something that tastes like uh, coffee with Irish cream, artificially flavored? Or is she going to want a skunky-ass sour diesel? Right. Nine out of ten people are going to take the flavored option every time. Do you remember, for our Canadian listeners and our cannabis listeners, because a lot of people have no cannabis anything, there's a huge company called Flight Pen, which was probably the number one black market um, cannabis vape for like two years. They were at every trade show. I heard they were doing $35 million of sales per month. Oh, yeah, they were huge. They're doing they, pretty weird stuff though with MCT oils, like they disappeared on your lungs. They disappeared um, real fast, but they um, kind of proved this market that. Well, the problem was there was no other competing product against them. The right. only pen, the only vaporizer pen on the market, was one that was created with artificial flavors. Um, but I still would wager the bet between. Well, I know how it works in a liquor store. If you put two products side by side and I had a $20 bottle of wine and a $30 bottle of wine and I wrote, if I wrote lemon lime wine on it and then the $30 bottle was Sauvignon Blanc from a specific region in France, six out of 10 customers are going to just buy lemon lime wine. Right. Six out of 10. The other 40% will think about, I would say two of those customers will think about spending the $30, but would rather find a $20 option that was that Sauvignon Blanc from a specific region of France. And it's maybe only two of those 10 people that are like, yes, I want Sauvignon Blanc from Poifacy. Right. That's and it's, it. It, uh, it kind of ties back into, um, we briefly touched on it before with uh, flavors of memory. Like, if, if you're going to see something that's familiar to you that you know you like on the shelf, you are far more inclined to pick that up than something new. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of us who go out there to try to try new craft beers, which we're interested in. But even then, like, for yourself, if you're going and checking out a whole new profile of craft beers, 
if you're going to pick up a couple, you're probably going to grab one thing that's brand new. I, well, and I always try the IPA first. Yeah, there you go. So you're going to pick something that's familiar because you have that attachment to its flavor. You have an attachment to that profile. You you know what to expect. It's a good way to and, gauge things. Right. Knowing what to expect is the first step, I think, in normalization. Like, as soon totally. as we're all on the same page and we know exactly what to expect, the quicker it's going to become commonplace. I just want to touch base. Pui fumi, fume, and pui fusi. Pui fume is chardonnay. Pui fusi is sauvignon blanc. Just so you know if you're... Wanting- I've learned something else today. God, I need to learn more about wines. See, I'm, I feel like such an idiot when I taste wines because, like, as I said, my best friend is a sommelier. So he's he's tasting the stuff, he's aerating it, and I try to do all that fun stuff too because it actually somewhere? works. Is somebody I know? Uh, yeah, we actually talked about him. Uh, his name's Mike. He's at Highlander. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big I know guy, Mike. Divine Punk. I know Big Mike. Oh, yeah. He's an awesome dude. He's a good dude. He's my best friend of all time. The Always dude's a, fun a guy. saint. Always a fun guy to go taste with. Absolutely. Yeah. But part of his whole thing. You should get when him to come does... to 420. That'd be sweet. I mean, I know he's not a smoker, but I'm sure he'd come just for the shits. Well, yeah. Like, we, for a, he would come for a six-wine Optionally infused, with. right? Exactly. So, uh, part of what makes him such an interesting person to taste things with is the fact that he tries to relate it to something that you know. He tries to bring um, a sense of familiarity to everything that he brings to the table, which is why he's so good to taste with. He's not going to start dumping all these wine connoisseur terms on you he's going to make it understandable for you and if you don't understand something like if he's going to say there's notes of this notes of that notes of this uh and you have a question he's going to be able to relate that in plain tongue and explain to you what you're tasting wine should be accessible it should and it's not a pretentious thing but it's become a pretentious thing. it has become because of the cost such a right barrier to entry huge barrier to entry you absolutely want to be, you want to be good at wine you know how much money it fucking costs me to be good at wine oh i don't even want to think about it disgusting amounts more money than i've probably ever had in my life all put together oh, i wouldn't say that <laughs> definitely wasn't that a jest a jest a student but uh but it was definitely like a huge investment and they, there's only one way to know what 1986 krug tastes like right right you have to taste it you know you, you have to try it you want to know what cristal tastes like taste it you have bro. to taste it right and and to do that you have to money up right there's no back door there's no that's that's kind of the thing with there uh, is a back door you meet the right people <laughs> i thought you were going to tell me there's some sort of like wine spark notes out there that i could go look up and be like no 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 uh. because those spark notes will never be the real thing experiencing it yeah right Speaking and of that i gotta i gotta text my boy right now and ask him what we're doing for our birthdays i'm gonna write it down on my notes here because last year we drank a 1978 Chateau Palmer, right bank, Bordeaux, it's 40 years old. Must have he, that bad boy set you back. Uh, well, I didn't, it was like, yeah, I fell in with the right person. I got there to drink go. it for free. We drank this whole bottle together over lunch. Um, but that bottle was probably, I don't know, on the open market, nine, twelve thousand. 12,000. Oh, whew. It's a 40-year-old Chateau Palmer, yeah. and it was cool because my mentor was there as well and uh, from from wine, and um, he used to be the sommelier. The, he ran the Y program for Bam- Fairmont Springs. Oh, right on. Um, back when it was, like, really intense. Like, he used, oh, yeah. when he was running it, there was, like, a champagne cart, and the champagne cart would have, like, 10, 12 grand on it at all times, and he had tried multiple bottles of the 78, which was cool, and he was, like... This is the best moment and the best bottle of 78 Chateau Palmer I've ever drank in my entire life. And this is probably my 10th one. Be part of that. 
it's like an elite it's 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 very crazy you know it's yeah napa wines like california wines i didn't understand that cult until i fell in with my buddy uh steve-o the wine guy and you know he is a serious collector rubicon inglenook rutherford like it takes it takes a, a serious collector to drink to drink those wines. I was so lucky that he. Uh, do you know what Sassacaya is? Have you ever heard that? I've never heard of it. Um, it's it's a super Tuscan wine. Incredible blend. They actually just won the 2015 won the number one wine uh, for Wine Spectator this year, and uh, he's been collecting Sassacaya since 1992, I believe, 88, and I've been fortunate to try. Every vintage from 96 all the way up to 2013. Damn. And I'll tell you one thing, Sassicaia, as soon as you smell it, it smells like beefaroni and violets. Beef, oh my god, that sounds like a violent combination. It's, I can't even, like I'm trying to picture this in my head, I'm generally good at kind of parsing flavors together, getting a general understanding of what I expect. Let me tell you about Chateau but Palmer. Beefaroni and violets sounds... Yeah. Sassicaia, you know, instantly. Chateau Palmer, 78 was like the most beautiful 40-year-old woman you've ever seen, brunette, uh, in a pair of like ass- assless chaps. I guess all chaps are assless. <laughs> in a pair of leather chaps, um, smothered in coconut. She climbs to the top <laughs> of a mountain. She's all sweaty. And then she falls and she tumbles through the earth, hits a few trees, and then she's like bails out into a meadow. And then you sniff that woman. <laughs> that's a very vivid description i appreciate that because i follow you i know exactly what you mean yeah like you can sm- you can imagine it right now absolutely and that's again flavors memory as long as we're able to relate these things as long as we have something to compare it to we have a general gist of what it's going to taste like mm-hmm. god that was not to mention life. if i were to ever try this that's the first thing i'm going to think of which is also very interesting. Right? You would instantly picture this. this exactly. Wo- the woman that right now. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah. Where are those chaps? Where are the assless chaps? <laughs> Why chaps? Why coconut? Leather. Because it's full of leather and coconut. God, I and love that. And sweat and saline and like, but like pr- really pretty hair products. Like I don't know what this, you know, it's like the sexiest herbal essences. Well, she had limonene and pinene in her hair products, that's for sure. Yeah, and then it's like, you know, it's that it's that sweat, and it's that musk, and it's that dark red berry from her, like the blood of, like, falling, and then it's, it's that, the meadow and the flowers, and the elegance of all of these things rolling together, and just like, splashing out into one beautiful moment, is, is, yeah. So another thing I'm going to point out about what you've basically just said is this is the way that we need to be talking about wine, mm-hmm. craft beer, cannabis, cannabis, all these things that are considered so pretentious. Like, mm-hmm. um, I fall into the trap of uh, over-researching a lot of things. Like, I, okay. I really dig in, and a lot of the times when I'm trying to explain something to somebody, I get too technical. Right. And there's such a beauty in somebody who's able to explain these profiles like what you just did in a way that everyone can understand although it was comical although it was uh like it was it was a trip it's uh it still accurately um portrays what you're trying to get across without a sounding pretentious in the slightest and b it really does give a solid idea of what to expect (laughs) 
Like I know that all these things are common profiles in wine. You get your like like subtle nuances of berries. You get the leather. You get the wood. You get the smoke. You get the peat. You get the ash. Mm-hmm. All these different things that we use to describe these tastes. But you've just bundled it up in a way that anyone can pick up what you're putting down without using any technical words. Yeah. Thanks. It's the. It's important. Yeah. Normalization. Normalization. Make it easy. That's why, so when, if, if you watch the YouTube videos, I don't know how many people watch the YouTube videos compared to who listens to the podcast, but I never talk about effective cannabis, and I always try and relate it to, like, very normal products. Like, I want it, I want you to, like, you know, when I think about a, a green fruit roll-up or something like that, like, there's a lot, yeah, thanks. I, it's the, My biggest and hardest point in wine was trying to not be pretentious and that was something Sarah really had my back on and called me out on a bunch because it was really easy to slip into a like <laughs> very you know high nose yeah fucking sommelier thing well and that's it's it's common mm-hmm. like that's how I mean I've been drinking wine for a while now one of my best friends is a sommelier but seeing a lot of the people that he interacts with he can speak their language but i can't they just make me feel like an idiot anytime i sit down with and them. there's a language and that's why when and I, there's a language when i say i use the vocabulary and vernacular of wine and translate it to cannabis what i'm talking about is using that vocabulary for those consumers and making them feel comfortable with cannabis right. and i think that's often missed in what i'm trying to trying to explain is that it's you know i want to make pretentious people understand that cannabis is just like fine wine and again i would hope that my other mission is to hope that everybody can enjoy the finer parts of life and not have such a barrier to entry because of the just how hard it is to read a wine label absolutely like if you've watched 50 videos and you've spent you know five six seven ten hours watching me on youtube you can probably buy a german wine that i know you'll like you can probably understand a few french wines you'll definitely know some places to look in italy and uh hopefully feel confident in in your decision i like that you brought up the wine bottles um like the the labeling the the labeling is so interesting when it comes to like alcohol and again i can tie this to my industry the vapor industry you should read some of the flavor description. Man, you need to read the flavor description for our flavor, the shield. It is the most pretentious sounding thing. I bet. But that's the way that people sell it. Like that's that's what people say. Like the inhale is reminiscent of such and such, well, and the exhale brings with it a note of. So I write paid tasting notes. Like this is, I could actually show you my tasting notebook. I don't, I don't know if I've ever. Except Sarah, I kind of put it beside me because I thought you'd like this. Hit me up. But like you know, I write. So I write tasting notes for everything, and I write this in the exact same format that I learned in university wine school. Good. Um, but I, but I, but I reverse engineered it into cannabis, um, and exactly what you're explaining is like, you know, um, beautiful light yellow color with layers of sandy THCA. It can almost read through it, very wet with terpenes. On the nose, it has a medium to medium plus intensity of gumball, lemon hose, fresh tennis ball, white flowers, rose petal, and a <laughs> minty freshness. Ball. I love that. On the palate. exactly what you're talking about. Right? And, you know, on the palate, intensity of, uh, medium intensity of flavor of gumball, dollar store, shiny plastic, white flowers, and jasmine blossom. Finish of white flowers and a feeling of Arabic gum. Very good. Yeah. 
you know, 92 points. There it is. And that's just, I just picked a random one from in there. But that's what I write all of them like. And right now I'm kind of being paid to do that. But eventually I hope that I can uh, do that for really Absolutely, big Absolutely, It's, I love being able to dig into something. And a lot of, um, I always take reviews and stuff with a grain of salt because as we discussed earlier, like palettes are so, so, so different. What tastes great to somebody might not taste great to somebody else. Like, cause they have a shitty memory of it. Right. Absolutely. Or they just had a bad one. Yeah. That, that's really all it takes for a lot of people is one bad experience with a certain flavor, a certain profile, a certain anything. I remember a moldy orange in my backpack when I was a kid that ended up smelling like a chocolate chip cookie. And sometimes I get really grossed out by the smell of chocolate chip cookies because I think about that moldy orange. So uh, when I was, I must have been 13 or 14, I think, uh, my sister was eating a peach in the backyard okay. and a millipede crawled out of the pit of the peach yeah i have not eaten a peach since but peach to this day is one of my favorite things i still love mm. peach but i will not eat a whole peach because of it i will slice up a peach okay okay but i will not just pick up a peach and eat it like you would an apple or something else because of a single bad experience are you scared of eating bugs dude i hate bugs i hate bugs oh don't go work on a winery no no i couldn't there's I couldn't. so many bugs in wine it's disgusting it's like cereal man do you know what ah shit again i can't remember the friggin numbers but you would be astonished i think it's like eight percent bug parts in of bug cereal. parts in cereal yeah. like you ingest so many spiders well, because what grows in these crops, like right. what's hanging out in all these yeah, crops. Yeah, they're not going to take each strand of wheat and flick the bugs off. No, it's going in the friggin' tiller. Yeah, have you seen it's how they dust. harvest it? Yeah. Nobody thinks about that. I <laughs> no love rhyme it. or reason. No, man, no. It's stuff I think about all the time. The grossest thing in BC, the main thing that lives in the vines is earwigs. Oh, earwigs. God. Yeah, so then you get these huge, you know, I'm dealing with 500 liter vats of literally just like little antenna floaties <laughs> no not little like it there there's full-blown earwigs full-blown earwigs because these grapes <laughs> aren't being crushed right like they're being yeah. very lently pressed in there and then all the earwigs are trying to run to the top and it's just like i had never seen so many bugs oh, i didn't realize pass. winery when i went to the winery i thought i was going to live this beautiful life i i knew i was going to work hard i like being a farmer i went to be a farmer i did not realize how disgusting it was going to be like the fact of how fruit flies culminate in small batch fermentation is oh, fuck. Yeah. You know that scene in uh, Return of the Mummy when he turns into all the flies and they're oh, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I open one of these fucking things, that's how I felt. I was like, oh, I would just always remember that scene. I was like, ah, oh, it's disgusting. Um, and great wines, but that like that I remember t my dad showed up to visit and I was like, Oh yeah, gee, have you ever seen a fermentation? I wanted to fuck with him. I wanted to like let the bugs out in his oh, face yeah. and he was so angry. Oh, I would have been pissed, man. No, that's just I I wouldn't describe it as a phobia. They just they're so weird and they move so weird, it just makes me uncomfortable. I dislike it. Wasps the worst was being on top of these bees? Uh, love them. Yeah, bees. Cover me in bees. Really? Not wasps. You're crazy. I'm just as scared of bees as I am of wasps. Ah, but I know them. I know bees won't fuck you up, but I'm still scared of them. It's just the... Mm, wasps yeah, on the, the other drone. hand. Yeah, the drone. Honestly, wasps... 
I had so many of them around me at the at the winery. Like they're at, like you're oh yeah you're surrounded you're, at all times. You're pressing sugar like, and it's just yeah. this it's is probably the, a wasp nest every two hundred feet. Yeah, exactly. And so you have a a, a wasp net trap every hundred feet. Yeah, and but they're still everywhere. And it was like, oh, the worst was after you do the press of the grapes because it's a huge hydraulic press. It's a large cylinder. But the one I was working in a pretty estate winery, so the actual like dump port, so you load it from the top, and I'd have to stand on top of this thing that's like eight nine feet in the air to load it from this thing and get it full. And we're talking like you know hundreds of kilograms of grapes. Oh yeah. And uh, and then to unload it, the thing flips underneath, and you like get as much out as you can, and then you have to straight up like get in this thing and pull all the grapes out by hand. And then get in there and clean it from the inside. But like, there's wasps in there. It's just full yeah, of no. fucking wasps. Oh, hard pass. Oh my god. Oh, such a hard pass from you, boy. You know what? This whole experience of the winery, I I got bit one time. No shit. Yeah, one time. And I, you know what? It really took away a lot of my fear. The house will be way worse. Let me tell you about the house. So the house had no central heating in it. It had been built in 1890. Um, it was like a notorious biker spot before all of it turned into winery land on the Naramata bench. And uh, I lived with two Mexican dudes, Ishmael and Candido. They didn't speak a lick of English. Um, but the house is old, right? And we're in BC. So I'm sure you can imagine what we say. It was fucking Black Widow's everywhere oh, yeah. like the house was gross mushrooms growing out of the, out of the shower and stuff oh, view gross. view was incredible about that the how like the view itself impeccable you wake up every morning overhanging lake okanagan looking over vineyards like it's it's yeah the house itself is like the biggest piece of shit i've ever like no nightmare could describe it uh so there's so many black widows and for people that don't know black widows oh will uh, can put you into cardiac arrest from a bite um, but hunter spiders eat black widows because they're not allergic to the poison. But the hunter spiders are like four to five times the size they're of huge. the black widows. Big. So you and they're really hairy. So you got to get used to not killing the hunter spiders oh. because they're there to protect you and they're not gonna bite you. But like, man, like I'm not a clean person. I leave stuff on the ground and I'd see like these huge fucking spiders walking over to all my stuff and it's like. Hard pass. So no, I'm out. So check this out. This is the this is the next worst part. So I'd finally fall asleep. I'd get to sleep, even though I'm like freaked the fuck out, right? Because I really don't like spiders. There's mice. I'd see lots of mice. I killed a lot of mice. It was gross. Um, but in the roof, there was like rodents living up there, like uh, squirrels or chipmunk or something. And the, whatever it was was nocturnal because these things would get up in the middle of the night and they'd fight. And I'd wake up to like the loudest, craziest, yeah, and fucking like rodent fights. And I'd I'd have to bang on the ceiling to get these fucking critters to move. (laughs) And so this is the luxury of like learning to be a winemaker was learning. That was my eat shit moment. Like, Dude, it's not a glorious job. Like people assume that because they're producing a glorious product, a very haute couture product product mm-hmm. that it's it's all fine and dandy the whole way about but like man no no that shit's hard you're roughnecking it yeah any kind of farming is so incredibly hard well and wine's crazy too because it's chemistry right you absolutely you farm you farm you farm so and important. then you have to do chemistry it's a science the amount of times that i i got called <clears throat> from my winemaker like there's a reason i lived on the vineyard as the winemaker's apprentice because 
I get a call at three in the morning. She's having anxiety about whatever. And it's like, go check this, go check this, you know, go, go, go look at the ferments. Like what, what's the temperature at? And it's like, fuck. Okay. You know, stumble down there. And, uh, but you messed that up one time for 15 minutes. Check this out. Here's the, I got a great story. Yes. So my goal, my number one goal when I went to the winery was like, I don't want to fuck anything up. A good goal. (laughs) Pretty decent. I want to learn lots. I want to work really hard and I don't want to fuck anything up. So I do my, I'm like three and a half months in, almost four months in, haven't fucked anything up. Not a single thing. I'm literally perfect. I'm 10 for 10. I'm, I'm, I'm draining threes. Like I'm killing it. Um, and so my replacement shows up. Who's this dude who's worked here for years. And like, you know, they talk really highly of he's, he works at other wineries. And again, he's been here for years. And, uh, so, uh, there's this thing you do batonage where the grapes float to the top in your fermentation and then the juice is on the bottom, but you got to reintroduce the, the, the skins. Cause that's where all the flavor and everything is. And you macerate it a little bit, chop it up, whatever. And so you have to, because it's a super CO2 rich environment, you can't just do it over the side or else you're, you're, you you might pass out. Um, so you get a board and you lay it on top of these. What we did, we, they use 500, like standard practices use 500 liter um, live fish shipping containers because they're uh, food safe and they're um, easily accessible to buy. And so you put, you lay a board on top of it and you stand on this board and you do your batonage. You have a large stainless steel, basically like plunger and you push all, through all these grapes and you push your grapes to the bottom as dude, gently as you arduous. can oh dude and there's i'm talking like, like a, if it's stainless steel that's gonna weigh something oh like 25 yeah, exactly 27 pounds up and down repeatedly <sighs> dude in I, a co2 rich environment like i, I was pretty whew. jacked i was pretty jacked at the end of it yeah, and you no have to doubt. and you have to be like balancing on top of all these containers like at one point at the at like the peak of everything, I think there's 56 of those things going on. And I'd have to do Damn, those. Dude. And you do that four times a day. And it was so intense. Uh, so anyways, my replacement shows up. And there's like lots of, of uh, small fermentations going on. And bad nausea is like, you know, it's the hardest. It's probably the hardest part of the job. And so uh, he he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. And I'm like, fuck yeah, finally, this guy's here. I'm going home next week. Like, this is great. And uh, this guy gets up, and, it, and it's the Syrah, and the Syrah takes the longest to, to, to ripen. And he's on, like, the second one. And then, like, next thing I hear, I just hear a noise, and I look over, and dude's fucking upside down, like, head first in the grapes. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I run to the dude and, like, pull him by his feet, and he's out. And he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, yeah, man, I was, I was actually going to ask you about the risk of drowning. Like, man, you're standing on one of those things, CO2 rich environment. Like, Lots of people die. You will be shocked how quickly that stuff knocks the oxygen out of your lungs. And well, you don't have any warning. You just pass out. Multiple winemakers have died. Like lots of people have died because of that especially with the large fermenters when you get on top oh, you open yeah, it man. and you're doing the pump i've over. never thought of that before yeah and you can't swim out of it yeah and, no and doubt there's, and there's no escape at the yeah. bottom you can't float no and there's no escape at the bottom wow 
I never actually thought about that before. Super, super dangerous job. So yeah, even no in the doubt. winery itself, like it's a very CO2 rich environment when fermentations are going on. Super, super dangerous. Uh, like you don't want to be in there if it's not vented. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's crazy. Um, a lot of the things I learned, it, it was it was a it was one of the coolest jobs I've ever had for sure. I want to go back. Man, if it weren't for the bugs, I'd give that a go just to learn. Like it's, it's well, you can do so it places in the world where there wouldn't be so many bugs, but you're never going to get away from the fruit flies. Right, exactly. Ah, fruit flies don't bother me. It's it's like the more legs something has, the more I am not game to hang out with it. Yeah, don't go to Australia. Yeah. Oh no, hard pass. Oh my god. I just heard that my winemaker actually went back to Australia to go make wine back there again. And I was like, you're oh, crazy. Oh my God, that's crazy. Man, there is an astounding... Like, I, I know it's the internet meme, like everything in Australia kills you. No, it's actually insane. The quantity of poisonous and venomous creatures that can be found in Australia. It's mm-hmm. actually insane. The number of even just spiders that can kill you with a bite. Fuck that. Nothing. If, if you're not in good health, like, that's it. Go to the Dominican Republic. Nothing there can kill you. Yes. That's my kind of place. Right? There's not a single predator in the jungle. There are no, like, large predators in their jungle that can kill you. There's no poisonous spiders or snakes. See, large predators are one thing. It's it's tiny things. The tiny things with lots of legs. I don't know. They just count me out. Panther? So out. Like, imagine getting fucked up by a black panther or something, living in a jungle. The one beauty about getting fucked up as, by a panther is you will never see it coming. It's just over. You're just done. I don't know, who was that dude, like, a month ago, a month and a half ago, who killed the mountain lion with his hands? Was that here? Yeah! I seem to remember hearing something about that. I remember there was a bear attack that got fought off with bear hands not too long ago, but, like... This dude broke the thing's neck, or he bashed its head in with a rock. Like, imagine... imagine See, yeah, hard pass Dopest, Dopest fucking story ever. Like, sickest scars, like, how'd you get this scar? I killed a mountain lion with a goddamn rock. With my ba- yeah, with my hands. I fought this mountain lion off with my hands, and then I grabbed a rock and bashed the mountain lion. Lord of the Flies in. style. Dude, that is like the most hardcore PTSD moment. You would never, like, you'd always be, wait, mountain lion. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, you fuck you up for life. So badass. So badass. And they come out of nowhere, man. Like, they are just built predators. It's crazy. Fucker came out of nowhere. It's absolutely crazy. Dude, I, I said, I asked too, I was like, um, do you think you got to keep the pelt? <laughs> no, real question. I was would, it hunting season? Did he have tags? I don't think you, Not I don't think you, you need a tag lions. to deserve that one. If a mountain lion yeah. kills you and you killed it with your bare hands and you're like, I don't want its tooth on a necklace. Right. And the whole pelt. Imagine like how dope the, you line your own jacket with this mountain lion fur and you're like. That somebody's like nice jacket you're like yeah it's lined with the fur of the mountain lion i killed by my hand like it's i am very much against poaching and the like but in a life or death situation like that if it's already dead that's not a poach that's not a poach at it's all it's not a poach you protected yourself you killed something that would have otherwise killed you yeah it happens with people but you totally deserve well i guess if you if you relate it to it happens with people <laughs> that okay that was a that's a hard one but uh yeah <laughs> that's not what i meant if but... this if this animal's dead you know like do something about it don't I'm, just leave it there yeah it's i want it i want it i want its skull right like that's fucking sick like you might have crazy ptsd again but if you can take it to a taxidermist and have that mountain lion skull like up on your shelf 
you know, it's like, never forget, never, there's always a mountain lion out there. What was it, Ricky Bobby, where he drives with the mountain lions? Yeah. <laughs> drive, Get rid of the fear. Drive with the fear. This is what that dude's living every single Dude, fucking day. <laughs> Man, the second you mentioned taxidermy, all I can think of, have you seen those, uh, the posts of bad taxidermy? <laughs> no. Oh my god, dude, I have a library on my home computer of just terrible terrible taxidermy it is something else the things that people try to do and like they they just want to be a taxidermist or something they find a body of an animal and they just try to make it better and dear lord if you guys have time on your hands and you want to laugh just google images bad taxidermy and enjoy it is such a treat it is so funny this is quick. next level shit. It sounds like some serial killer shit. I'm gonna, oh, I'm dude, gonna look it up here. Bad taxidermy is it never ever fails to make me giggle uncontrollably. Okay, here we go. I probably have a whole bunch on my phone. No, don't admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> the meme lords, man. Oh, these are pretty funny. <laughs> it's next level shit it's so funny it's just because people fuck up the eyes and the mouth position right the eyes like, mouth and the other one that i absolutely <laughs> love is uh they'll use a uh they'll forget what a body looks like that there's a rib cage and a spine and everything kind of um caves in around your stomach and they'll just put a wooden board for the body i feel like this is where a lot of those animal memes come from now oh 100 that's exactly where they come from is this bad taxidermy <laughs> Half of this shit you're looking at right now is the background to some meme somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm like, oh shit, I've seen this one. Like, this is so fucking funny. Like, <laughs> dude, it's amazing. It's next level stuff. Who like, put a smirking mountain lion on display? That's oh, awesome. Oh man, and the smiles that they'll try to make. Thing oh god, it's so funny. Do yourself a favor. Google bad taxidermy. Yeah, Have give it a, a look. laugh about it, man. On, give it a look. This deer looks like it's got gumballs in its mouth. <laughs> oh man yeah that's gold that's pure gold it's pure gold man like i'm if, if you're a hunter man and you're you're using that meat you're using those bones you're using that skin all the power to you i'm all about that it's it's the trophy shit that i, I think we're gonna with. do a dinner like that this Good. summer where we hunt the venison man, hang the, the place venison. to do it it's either here or ontario like that's where you're gonna find your best game so. oh pheasant i have a buddy who's a big pheasant hunter i'd like to i'd like to hunt some pheasant and uh serve it for people and just tell them to watch out for a shotgun <laughs> look out for the pellets yeah that's a fucking no, that's a very real thing, that's man. an awesome dinner that's how you have a real connection to your food absolutely i've never skinned anything but i think i should i think so too i think it's uh a lot of people forget where things come from mm -hmm. and i think a lot more emphasis should be put on like we've just been describing how much work goes into making wine People don't really think about that when they're sitting down for a dinner with a steak and a glass of wine. Like, they're not thinking about where it came from. They're not thinking about the sheer amount of training, specialization, uh, effort mm -hmm. that just goes into these things. And I think it's, like, I'm not going to go preach about this or anything, but I think it's important that people uh, understand where these things come from. Yeah, understand your food, even yeah. farms. Um, Do you know how much <clears throat> better it's going to taste? Yeah, it even does. just going through that experience, front start to finish, treating mm -hmm. it every step of the way, taking care of it yourself—something that you've created and owned. I implore everybody listening to find a local butcher and go purchase meat from them, even if you don't purchase all of your meat from them. Um, because I understand, like, it's not even that much more expensive. A lot of the time, if your local butcher has deals or you create a relationship, um, it'll be it'll be just as expensive or or cheaper. 
Yeah, man. Shout out to the Better Butcher on Heritage <clears throat> Drive. One of my favorites. I love those guys. There you go. And I, you know, Empire Provisions. Yeah. Um, that's my spot. You know, Dave, if you want to go anywhere for amazing pork or amazing beef, uh, if you want these exquisite cuts at an amazing price, you know, like I had like a kilogram and a half ribeye for like 28 bucks. Insanity. On the bone. You know, like this is a this is a steak in a restaurant that you'd get charged $200 for. Right. Like it's it's astonishing like not everybody is going to notice a difference but if if you're going to go into this with an open mind and you're going to actually give it a go and pay attention the difference between a butcher steak and a commercial grade like grocery store steak is Mm -hmm. night and day there are a few grocery stores that are doing a good butcher grade though yeah man like you can go to getting better and i mean especially in alberta like we are literally yeah this is beef country like we don't fuck around country the capital of planet earth triple a alberta beef or is it quadruple a alberta beef is it quads is it i don't know if it's quads i thought it's triple i think it's triple a is the best one yeah, and AAA Alberta beef is way better than USDA Prime. I don't give a fuck oh, yeah. no, don't what give a anybody shit. says. It actually pisses me off. Uh, the f- I remember it was actually my dad who was like, we went to Ruth's Chris, and they offer USDA Prime or Alberta AAA. Why would they even offer USDA Prime? Why? Because that's, that's where they're from. They're from the I States, guess. right? And he was like, you know, USDA Prime is just, you know, it's just as good. And at the, at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? It's not just as good because I'm born and raised in Alberta. I'm a fucking Berta boy. And you know what Alberta, I do? boys. I support local industry more than anything. Absolutely, man. 100%. I love, I'll spend my money on local industry so much faster than I would ever support anything else. Amen, brother. Um, that's not to say that Alberta garlic isn't overpriced. Two ninety nine a bulb, guys, versus three bucks for a oh, kilo. I love that you brought that up. I thought I was crazy. I was looking at garlic prices that aren't like the imported crap, and I was like, "What the hell is going on, dude?" You got God. Sh- I'm glad it's not just me. Yeah, you got a shaded area anywhere? Like, I'm I'm literally about to go plant garlic this week, so that I can harvest it all in September. Hey, man, if it's good, hit a brother up. No, fuck you. It's all mine. Fuck you. I want some. No, I'm going to get like six, I'll get 60 balls. Townhouse. I want to do basil. Windowsill basil. Yeah. You can get the, uh, there's the arrow garden that does aquaponics. They're like 120 bucks and you can grow great basil on your counter. Um, that's all like, it's a hydroponic unit with led lights and it literally just will perpetually grow. You don't have to control anything. The new one has Bluetooth. You just put the pod oh in. Oh, God. Bluetooth growing systems. Praise be. It's great. It's That's great. Bomb, man. And then you can have fresh basil on your counter. Your shit's all dry. The time. Water it. Ba-ding. Notification on your phone. There was an episode with a small, my buddy Adam Blanchard. He's a grocer. He's uh, bought and sold, what did he say, like over $100 million of produce in his career. Shit. Maybe more. Maybe it's four hundred million dollars of produce. Anyways, there's a there's a people growing basil in their garage in Calgary, that is apparently the best basil he's ever tasted in his entire life. Um, he works at the Bonetian Grocer in Bonas. I'll need to check that out. Yeah. Bonetian. I love that. That's a thing. And it's all just super, really good local foods, very high end, fantastic grocer. And what's really cool about what they do is um, none of their food goes to waste. They actually put it in a community. They have because they're in Bonas. Um, they have a they have a donation center, and any food that expires that day, they'll just put into the um, food donation cabinet, and, and people can take it. 
Yeah, time out. Is it pee break time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want a pee break, too. (laughs) Hold on. I can pause just like... And, and, uh, so he, so he just, so he has some flowers in his hands again. And so Valentine's Day, go back, um, he's like, hey, can I drop these here? You know, I'll leave a note on your neighbor's door and they can come pick them up later, you know, and you can meet your neighbors, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to. And he's like, well, come on or else I have to, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever. You can tell them that their, that their flowers are here. So that same fucking guy just rang the doorbell with another batch of flowers for a different address and is like, hey, can I leave these flowers here? Like, I'll leave a note on your neighbor's door. And I'm like, what? I was like, dude, don't you remember? I was like, the last ones you dropped here, like nobody ever came to get them. Like, hey, you got some free flowers. Well, that was the funny thing. Somebody <laughs> sent me flowers on Valentine's Day. It's a beautiful box of roses. It's probably like $100 a rose. So this bouquet you just dropped is like probably a nice $100 bouquet again. And I'm like, and I told him, I was like, dude, I don't really want to take it. Like the last time that nobody ever showed up. And he's like, well, just take it. And I'm like, can't you just leave it on their porch? And he's like, well, I can leave it with you. And then you can just leave it on their porch. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, dude, just get better at your job. <laughs> yeah, like, this isn't my fucking job. And then I was like, okay, here's the reality, man. I was like, are you this lazy? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'll take the flowers. And if nobody shows up, you know, then whatever. And he's like, yeah. And then just call the floors tomorrow and I'll come pick them up. And I'm like, not a fucking chance. <laughs> I was like, if this isn't the right person and nobody comes to get them, I'm keeping them. That's on you, dude. Yeah, like that's 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 a you thing. That is not a me thing. <laughs> oh my god. So just the fact that it's the same guy and it's happened twice, like it was such a funny joke on Valentine's Day between me and Sarah. And now it's happened again. It's a beautiful bouquet. I wonder what they did. Well, I think I think the guy botched the address the last time. Uh and and left the note on the completely wrong door with a completely wrong name and that person opened the door well the the house that he left it on i've literally never seen anybody go through the front door and so i bet he left the note on the front door and these people only use their back door and so a he delivered he it was totally the wrong address he botched it completely (laughs) which is what i actually think happened or b oh blowing up i know um or b those people just never saw the note like i went over one time but here was the thing here's the other thing it was in the middle of an absolute snowstorm mid-february <laughs> and when i walked past to go see if there was um a note on the door like there was no note on the door and so i was like oh they either got it or it blew away but there's no way I'm going to the door to be like, oh, hey, oh. So this random dude dropped off flowers at my house. I think they might, like, that's not a conversation that anyone wants to have. I know. And, and so, like, the card was soaking wet and it looked just terrible. And so after two days, it's like, okay, I'm opening the card. And the card didn't even have anything personalized in it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't really feel that bad. Again, it's just so weird that it happened again with the same guy. Uh, Next level shit. I know. I was excited that it was going to be Cannabis Post. (laughs) Some random dude with flowers. Some random lazy dude with flowers. I should have not opened the door. Oops. It happens, man. 
Well, maybe I just got a bouquet of flowers. Well, exactly. At I least c- it's nice flowers. Well, flowers I, could, nice. I could always go over there and just take the tag off the door. <laughs> I mean, you could. That's pretty sleazy. <laughs> but that's move. not very excellent of you. I would never do that. I would never <laughs> do that. But the thing about it is, the house that he pointed at and the address don't actually match up. Oh god. <laughs> uh, he spelt it wrong, and those people are—I know—they're retired. Like they're like seventy-year-old people. It's like an old lady and her husband. <laughs> so like, why on earth at three fifty-six on a Wednesday would they not be home? Right. Man, small delivery companies are such a trip. And also, the people next door, next to them, that their house is attached to, um, those people are also retired. How did it end up here, like, the 25-year-old guy who works from home? Small delivery companies, man. It's it's such a crapshoot. Like, as somebody who deals with shipments and going out, going all the time, and, like, normally we're using Pure Leader, FedEx, UPS, but sometimes you need something really fast and small couriers are the way to get it. But man, the number of small couriers that just are incapable of using even Google Maps to find a place is incredible. Well, that guy smelled like he'd been sitting in an ashtray. Oh, man. Something else, dude. That's one of the main reasons I remembered him, to be honest. Was, oh, there you go. It was the smell. smell. Scent and taste. All Sm- memory. Smelled like me when I was a construction worker. Oh, yeah. There's a time and place, man. That's the one thing I don't miss about cigarette smoking is the fact that I can smell and taste things again and that I probably don't smell like shit. Well, I would have never had my job if I hadn't quit smoking cigarettes. That's Actually, that's a good point. You wouldn't have been able to taste. Neither would you. Absolutely. 100%. And like for anyone out there who has not smoked before, <clears throat> um, yeah, it, it totally nukes your taste buds. I used to eat and so much hot sauce. Sense of smell. Dude, same. I've wrecked my stomach. Yeah, because of how much hot sauce I could just stuff. pour I it in. Because you couldn't taste anything else. There's like a small, like you can taste uh, high acids. Um, capsaicin doesn't have a taste; it has a sensation, which is why smokers gravitate towards spicy foods. It's not that they can taste something else; it's that they feel the you heat. Can, I can feel, and something. they assume that it's taste. It's not taste. It's that's. It's a sensation. Those are your nerve endings, man. Like it's. Uh, it's it's crazy stuff what it does to your entire sense of taste and smell and people oh and your skin totally overlook it uh, oh, God. when I'm at Sarah Sarah's Sarah's older than me but when I'm at Sarah she thought I was older than her by like years and I thought she was younger than me by years but the complete opposite is a reality um because when I was like 21 years old when I met her and I was a heavy heavy smoker. I looked like I was 35. It totally fucks with the um, elasticity of your skin. I was dry. I had wrinkles. I was pale. I had acne. Like, it was so gross. Sorry, I'm checking my Gmail. Confirmed. Look, look, something something exciting. Anyways, doing a thing with uh, the naked leaf. Is that who it is? Yeah, the tea guy. Yeah. Um, I really like the idea of tea. Guy's really cool that owns the store. I They have a lot of specialty ingredients that I've needed, and he asked if I could do a little presentation with him. And oh, said, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Dude, let me know when that is. I'm a tea fanatic. That was the first thing that I well, got I might bring him into with taste. I might bring him to brunch. Do it. Oh, like shit, to I do. not be at the brunch, though. I'd be there at the dinner. Well, that's okay. Or maybe I'll have a tea selection p- 
carried over. Oh, that's a great idea. Tea um, is another one of those things, again, because of sheer terpene content mm-hmm. and other um, aromas. Like, it's... A lot of people just think that tea is tea. Like, green tea is green tea, but... Oh, it's like wine, man. There's regions. There's crap. distinctive tastes between each one of these different strains and bodies. Same as cannabis. Same you, as any plant. Do you know a lot about tea? Did, have you done, gone down that rabbit hole? A fair quantity. Okay, so like people... I I'm, always thought I'm I no liked... I'm no self-proclaimed genius about this stuff, but I am a self-proclaimed fanatic. I always thought I liked green tea, but I could never find the green tea that I liked because I love dim sum. Mm. But it dim sum... Was it jasmine? They put oolong. Ah, ah i'm a big fan of the oolong i fucking love oolong tea and i found the king of duck shit oolong which is the story behind it's great this dude <clears throat> gets this this cut i can't remember how tea leaves grow i'm sorry is it a tree is it a bush yeah. anyways it's i think it's like a shrub it's a tea tree yeah it's a tree shrub kind of but it's not a very big tree okay right and so he gets these and he knows instantly. He's like, my t- this cut, this this pheno is so much better than everybody else's oolong. So he names it duck shit. And uh, and so nobody wants that it. Frops on the name, right? And but then people catch on, and they're like, oh, the duck shit cut. Like it d- doesn't taste anything like duck shit. Of course not. Uh, and so yeah, the king of duck shit is like supposed to be that original cut. Oh man, I'm gonna need to try that. I remember. Oh, I man. have some downstairs. I'll brew you a pot. I might. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but oolong, I think, as like a strain of tea itself, was originally a mistake. I don't remember what the translation was, but I wanted to say oolong meant something along the lines of accident. Oh, cool. I don't remember. It was explained to me by some tea dude in San Francisco. This old Chinese dude. Did he talk to you about the hand rolling versus the crumpling thing? Yes. That's the, the craziest. The other huge thing is the flushing. With proper tea, you should flush a pot. Oh, first. yeah, you have to flush. You, you have, have to flush it. It's like you any plant. Exactly. Like, there's shit on that. It's it's grown from the earth. There's going to be pesticides. There's going to be fertilizer. There's going to be a whole bunch of other things. It is a plant, and yeah. it isn't very treated. Mm-hmm. So flush your first pot of tea, folks. It'll taste way better. Oh, but it's a quick steep. Yes, absolutely. Quick. Timing is very important yeah, don't, with tea. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, man. T- timing is extremely important and I, it's hard because um as you become like a tea connoisseur it's oh God, uh, it's it gets expensive <laughs> yeah it's very expensive but it's all about like a light steep but w- with those very expensive teas you can steep those teas five six seven times oh absolutely well, and they won't lose well they'll lose flavor off the first two pots but your next five are going to taste the same yeah they're not really i wouldn't consider them unpotent i had a dude come over who was a tea sommelier and he taught me a bunch about tea and kind of got me really excited about the whole idea because you know um like the king of duck shit i i think i have i gotta the, try this i think it's the 20 i have a 2013 vintage of it i think like it's very specific so the beautiful thing about tea is like if it's actually dried properly it's not going to go bad on you forever forever yeah like it'll if you take good care of it you seal it properly it's not going to go bad yeah and you know if it's in a cold dark place it does not need humidity like this is one of those products that is dried to the bone absolutely you're pouring it into water it is gonna rehumidify it's gonna happen one of the coolest things shout out to javi big meach micheladas in chicago this dude brews all of his own cold brew teas for cocktailing and he's like so intense like the flavors that he was creating blew my mind 
I was just absolutely blown away that he's like, yeah, we're going to put, you know, this, 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 all these different things in. I was like, I've never brewed a, brewed a freestyle tea like this before. Like, I'd love to try that shit, man. It's, it's just so fascinating. Like again, with any of these things where you have these great aromatic compounds, these great flavors, you can mix and match as you see fit. And like the other beautiful thing, again, another similarity between cannabis is depending on how it's grown and depending on the environment it's grown, the, the factors that are kind of put into its growing, you can get such crazy, crazy, crazy tastes. I remember trying this one, um, it was a Chinese tea and this type of tea is only available in one region on the planet. Mm -hmm. And that is because of where the tea, um, like their little acreages are set up it is just downwind of one of the largest chinese commercial orchid farms mm. so inevitably this tea gets the orchid pollen exactly so it has an incredibly strong um orchid taste to it like this wow. just floral touch that i want that so bad. it's like an elevated jasmine you know what uh, there was actually a place in the city where you could get it uh I want to say it was actually, of all places, the Bean Stop in Eau Claire Market. Hmm. They might still have it, but... My um, boy, Jonathan, can get you anything you want at the Naked Leaf. I need to talk to you. He's Jonathan. he's the plug, right? Like, he's he's the guy. I've tried his stuff before. Like, it's it's all over the city. He's the guy. He's yeah. the guy. He's got the best... He's got the... Of all the places I looked, you know how long it took me to find hibiscus? I'm making this custom God, cocktail. Hibiscus. One of my most popular flavors is hibiscus-based. Really? Yeah. I've never. I have no idea what this taste of hibiscus is. This chick, I remember her selling. Brett the Hitman Heart has a beer, and his it's like a hibiscus, uh, blonde. Oof. And, and she was like, she was like, yeah, really, you can really taste the hibiscus. And I was like, what the fuck? does hibiscus taste Dude, like as soon as you taste hibiscus you will never forget the taste it's oh i God. should obviously brew one of those flowers just in a little pot of tea well you can that's what hibiscus does like there are i'm gonna do a syrup with it a ginger absolutely lavender that's what hibiscus people do syrup. it's it's so it's this in, it's a noxiously sweet flower mm. like it's, it's crazy crazy sweet uh it's got very fruity notes for a flower it doesn't taste as floral as you would expect a standard flower to taste it's got Oh God! How would I describe it? It smells like Fruit Loops. It does smell like Fruit Loops. It smells like straight up a fruit. Ma it it's almost like Hawaiian red fruit punch. Yeah, which hasn't I haven't seen in a long time in Canada. I remember when they came out with a Halloween candy. Oh, that was so. Oh, bomb. I gotta try that shit, man. I miss those those little chubbies. Dude, they sell chubbies everywhere. I haven't seen them in ages. Get a Costco membership. Oh, I see. And there's my problem is I'm not friggin' shopping at Costco. Yeah. It's hard. Jump on that shit, man. Costco's a hard Everything one. Everything in bulk. No, you show up there because you can't really. Oh, I'm trying to put my feet up right now. That'll work. <laughs> um, you can't really buy groceries there because if you're one person, everything will go to waste. I find that the produce and everything actually isn't very quality. I like their meats. I do not. You don't? I find I get sick very often from really? their meats. Yeah, like uh, like intestinal distress. Um, I go through life in intestinal distress. That's probably why I've never noticed it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard because, like, you know, some of the meats, some of the cuts. I had somebody tell me that they bought a huge strip loin there, and it smelled like formaldehyde when they took it out. Ugh. And they returned it. No questions asked. Um, I don't know. It seems like every time I eat Costco food, I get sick. I think you're the first person I've heard actually say that. That's interesting. 
I mean, I wouldn't know if my stomach gets upset. As I said, my stomach is generally upset. Nine out of ten days of the week, my my stomach isn't doing too hot. But man, I've had a the last meat I got from Costco. I did this great kind of like Erichera style uh, flank steak. Okay, and it was beautiful, man. It was so cheap too. So yeah, it cost me a fortune to get that quantity of meat at freaking Safeway. But well, that's you know, I used to uh, a few times I've bought a large piece of meat and butchered it myself from costco and you know taking my fillets and made my sirloins yeah. and i have my stewing beef you know I'll buy, i i i get that part of it i can i can buy a big chunk um again just the quality so it's so weird how it's not there uh even when i buy a you know uh even well with that bird of beef my yeah because it's hard farmed Hard farmed, yeah, and there's your problem, right? It's not, it's not going to the butcher when you go and to the. See, I marinated the living hell out of this flank steak. Well, that's making a flank good. Yeah, you you probably wouldn't even know if it was a good or bad steak with the quantity of acid that was introduced to it. So. Yeah, and flank is one of those things like pound it thin, a lot of salt, a lot of acid. It's gonna be bomb. Yeah, nobody doesn't matter. <laughs> nobody ever looks at the flank cut, which is crazy. It's so overlooked. It's crazy. But and it's a. But it's again. It's like a. It's a poor people cut. That's why. Um, well, I shouldn't say it like that, but that's the perception of flank. Well, right. Absolutely. But I mean, any meat with the proper, adi- God, almost anything with the proper additions, the proper flavor combinations can be absolutely bomb. And terrible. And, or terrible. Vaxiled flank that's sous vide, you know, you'll nail it. If you have your marination for two I days. I get into sous vide. I have yet to try sous vide cooking. That's the one thing I haven't tried. I've mm. made my own smokers. I've tried all this crazy stuff. Do yourself stuff. a favor because the ticket is if you have your own smoker, sous vide and, or smoke and then sous vide. No shit. I'm making another smoker this summer. Yeah, we did a brisket. Me and my buddy. Well, I didn't do shit. Tom Cruise of Rosin. Is oh, yeah. He, Great dude. Okay, yeah. You've yeah. met... You no, met, we've been talking. You met Tim Tom, okay? Yeah. So, He's um, fantastic. He... For one of the dinners I did, he did the brisket because he loves smoking meats. Oh, yeah, dude. And uh, he did uh, a 10... A 10 or 12-hour smoke. And then we sous vide for the next 18 hours. Um, and then let it rest. And just the way he's doing it... I've watched a lot of barbecue shows. I've watched a lot of food competition shows oh, yeah. i like to call myself a brisket connoisseur yeah the man had the best smoke ring over and over again he's done this like three times for me now best smoke ring i've ever seen uh the meat is perfect it's it's so it's the best brisket i've ever had in my entire life oh he, god we gotta talk yeah tom cruiser rosin makes the best brisket i've ever had and i've had brisket all what over the world fame man that's awesome yeah he fucking nails it I'm, uh, we're converting, um, so with our, uh, vape shit, we got these 55 gallon drums of VG and we just fly through these 55 gallon drums and they're already stainless steel food grade. Cool. Uh, so I'm taking, uh, this summer I'm going to take uh, a walnut blaster to it, remove all the coating on the inside and yep. give it a slight burn, torch it. And then I'm going to turn it into a 55 gallon smoker. Cool. Cause yeah. why wouldn't you? Well, exactly. I've got so many of these barrels kicking around, man. Like, Oh, well let's do, do something with them. Yeah. Do you want one? Yeah, I really Heck do. Yeah, no, let's do it. I want a smoker so bad. I keep talking about it. Um, how are you imagining doing it? Would you do it like standing straight up? Would you put it on its side? What do you, what's your, what's so your I've thought? heard arguments to both and it kind of depends on the environment that you're in. Generally, I've heard you get more success when it's tilted on its side. 
Okay, interesting. And, um, I think that's more to do with uh, proximity with the smoke. If you're going to be hanging your meat at different levels in something that's vertical, mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to get as... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, not ambient. Um, it's got, not going to regularly... Heat. We should do one of each. Yeah, why not? God, I've got so many of these barrels. I can do several of it. Well, hell, we can. Because I, I can see a real, shit. I can see a real interesting one, and easy and simple, just to have your like a door at the bottom, yeah. a small door at the bottom where you put all of your embers and your wood, um, and then you put a you put a grill in, super easy, and then I guess you would have it hanging. Hey, you would want well, to put what everything. I was planning on doing is spiking. Uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, having racks. Fuck, that's easy. Yeah. Straight up easy. So that would be the vertical style. And then with uh, when you get horizontal, from what I understand now, this is limited reading, trying to learn this stuff mm-hmm. to make my own. Uh, from what I understand, it just, uh, it evenly heats better. It distributes the heat a lot more evenly with the small cap because the heat's going to rise. It's going to hit that top and then pool into the two sides of the barrel as opposed uh... to going straight up and pooling at the top and then pouring down the sides. So you get hot air up the center, cold air down the sides. Instead... It just creates a vortex because it has a lot less space to move. It's capped, right? But on the on your sideways one, you would have to have the grill and the griddle in it, right? You wouldn't be able to hang. Right. Yes, you wouldn't be able to hang. Hmm. Let's try them both. Why not? Yeah, I'm down. I want to start smoking lots of stuff. I'd like Heck, to do yeah, jerkies dude. and. Uh, I would kill for some. I had some fresh homemade jerky from. Uh, I have a buddy who has a uh, ceramic smoker, like a big, uh, a big. Clay. The egg. Oh god, it's gorgeous, handmade, in his backyard. He's a hunter. Um, but uh, the meat that comes out of that thing is just bar none. See, Absolutely. I would incredible. like to hunt a lot. I just think I don't. I don't know if I could ever be that psychopath that's hanging, hanging carcasses in my Hanging garage them bodies up well i grew up around a lot of that um some of my neighbors and like i remember this one dude who used to hang them in his basement at my buddy's house and that was so intense he'd like hang them and butcher them in his own basement in his yeah, house man. like next level shit i couldn't do that i think i could butcher i don't think i could hunt really you could no, butcher and you not know hunt what? i'm i don't want to call myself a sissy or anything but i'm it's I don't think I could pull the trigger, man. Probably, I've never, I never have. Probably be a lot easier than you think. You know what? I don't doubt that. But my willingness to take that step is... Mm. I feel you. I really want to hunt. I really want to kill and eat an animal. Man, I, I will be the guy to friggin' skin and butcher that animal. It's just pulling the trigger that I have a problem really? with. I don't know why. It's just a person... I don't know. It's something in my brain that just I have a me big, like... I'm scared of the skinning and butchering part. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't mind that as much. The skinning and butchering, if it's already dead... If I wasn't the one who killed it, no problem. See, okay, see, that's see, that's weird. I feel yeah. like, because, you know, like, if I hit an animal with my car, I would feel weird touching it. But if I shot it, I would be fully ready to eat it. Yeah, that's, that's so weird how the brains work. Because it's, uh, I, I couldn't explain why that is. I don't know why that is. Maybe no, totally. I'm just a bleeding heart at the end of the day. But I have no problem touching a dead animal. Yeah, it's killing that animal that it's I killing find. that animal. It's hard. It just hurts my feelings, man. <laughs> I feel that it makes me fucking sad. I would feel sad if I wasn't gonna eat it. Yeah, that's that's. I don't want to just kill. I think stuff. anyone should feel sad if they just kill something for the sake of killing something. That doesn't feel right. I get trophy hunting though. I don't. That's one thing that I. 
Okay, so in terms of, like, there's a lot to be said about uh, conservationist efforts and culling. Yeah. Trophy hunting during a cull, by all means, all the power to you. But, I mean, there's just so much trophy hunting that happens outside of hunting season and culling. That's such a problem worldwide. Well, and that's why... Not as much here. Canada's actually... We're really really good good about about our conservation. Absolutely fantastic. Well, because we're ruthless. I'm talking, like... Yeah. I'm talking big, uh, like... Poachers go to jail. Yeah, man. And they get... you know what like oh yeah dude i feel like a poacher's kind of on the same scale as like a as like a sexual predator or like a kitty predator in you know? canada maybe it's crazy man canada's well because our jail system is unfortunately populated with a lot of first nations as well and that's just kind of one well, it's a sad fact you're a poacher Fuck well you know what in the states it's black people in canada it's first nations people um you know uh racism isn't not a reality anywhere in the world no nah, man we're not there yet well one of the god things... i hope we are soon because it's I, fucked but... i love mexico because mexico is run by mexicans and that's what's dope about mexico i mean even then with some experience in mexico you still have your whole um for lack of a better word class system and a lot of it actually does come down to the color of your skin like in mexico to this day modern Mm -hmm. day mexico that's true uh the color of your skin means a great deal in society the darker you are the more you've been outside the more that insinuates heavy labor Mm -hmm. whereas with us as pasty white kids we go down to the beach, we get a tan that shows that we could afford a vacation, that shows that we can afford to spend leisure time in the sun. Like, it's a total flip-flop. It's absolutely insane. That is And it's crazy. like that in a lot of places. Yeah, like China is like that absolutely. big time. A lot of the If Asian you're countries. dark, then you're working in the rice paddies. Exactly. And that's the assumption, when really, genetics play just as much a role in that as the sun does. <laughs> like, yeah. The skin colors differ so wildly, even among friggin' white people. Like... It's, well, I mean, we're all fucking pasty as goddamn hell, but that's not true. I know some good like Italian dudes. My sister dudes. is, uh, I mean, I'm part Italian further back, but closer to the Italian side, we're Scottish, and I'm the one of the family who ended up pasty as all hell. Yeah, you look really Scottish. My, yeah, I'm very Scottish. My, my father, both his parents are from just outside Aberdeen. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm very Scottish. I just happen to have an Italian name, but uh, my whole family tans beautifully and i melt i I turn into a blistery puddle of red nothingness (laughs) it's terrible that sucks but it's 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 crazy man because like i it's so easy to say like i wish that the world were just i wish that everyone was excellent to each other as i said earlier that's my one true dream just be excellent to each other and it's just so fucking hard for some people it blows my mind Uh, yeah it's hard i get it i get both sides of the argument because it's really, I, get, I feel like I get pissed off really easy, and I can feel how cultural um, appropriations, is that the word I'm looking for? Appropriation, yeah. Uh, might anger me in some scenarios, and that's such a closed-minded view, but it's, again, self-awareness where knowing that it's not, um, it's a me thing because I feel out of place. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's I, I and that's hard. Assimilation is a hard thing. It is absolutely. Yeah. Very difficult. I mean, like it's the Canadian government failed at it really badly. They tried. Don't forget residential schools, everybody. Oh, I, I feel Christ I feel bad for First Nations people. Man. It's bad. It's, we we got a plague pass. So I I was driving past Castle Mountain. Sarah's so like, oh, what's Castle Mountain? 
And I'm like, you know, I don't exactly remember. And I Googled it, and I'm like, part of Canada's tarnished past. Like, you know, yeah, it, it was a, it was a, and it was a, an internment so camp. Canada. Like, Canada is, everybody else in the world looks at Canada as, like, this beacon of multicultural. No, we're good at brushing off how bad we were. No, it was, like, we're getting better. And I struggle saying we're getting better, because it's, well, there's just so much that Well, Justin Trudeau just kicked out the two women, the most powerful women in his party, and one of them happened to be the highest ranking Aboriginal woman yeah. to ever get into government. Absolutely. Um and he ran on a campaign of helping women and Aboriginals and did absolutely nothing. When I see the stats of how many First Nations um reserves don't have like clean drinking water or any of these things, you know, it's uh it's hard. But then I think about the idea that maybe they didn't spend the money because I know that there's lots of money given. Maybe the money was not spent in the in the correct ways. But at the same time, it's really sad to see a lot of indigenous populations without clean water because of it's other industries. It's 2019, and that's the thing. You just hit it on the head there. It's other industries. Mm -hmm. It's corporations that are coming in and developing this land, taking this land. Like, it's 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 insane, the rate at which it happens. Like, fresh water in Canada, the springs, and how far Nestle is willing to go to take fresh water. It's intense. You would be astonished at how little they pay for these springs mm -hmm. on this land that uh, they they just dry. They, they take them dry. Dry. It's insane. Well, the fact that they bottled so much water, pure life water in California during a drought. That is also so messed up. California has been smoked by a drought for what? Like the a last decade, 20 decade? years. I was going to say seven years. And then I was thinking like, holy shit. No, it's way more than that. California's water hasn't been okay forever god Feels almost like. as long as i've been alive mm -hmm. like as long as i've been old enough to understand what a drought is and how bad it is for an economy and a populace california has been going through that well and imagine their wildfires how much of that fresh water it just ate up just to put a try and put out right. wildfires right because you can't dump salinic water all over no everything. man it's not gonna work what well, ruins everything else well yeah it'll ruin everything else and you don't want to be inhaling vaporized salt water 24 7 either that's not great for your lungs yeah that's intense yeah man that smoke that comes off of that is uh no bueno jesus says the guy inhaling vegetable glycerin but yeah this fucking guy vaping over here you got nicotine <laughs> in your vape oh heck yeah do you want some mm, uh no i'll probably take a dab <laughs> instead to be super honest with you yeah i know how it is man oh man i just got i got invited to this sick ass wine dinner with my homie that i met oh, um he was like this he was like the fine wines guy for crowfoot liquors and then he left and he just got a big ball and job they've got he, a mean selection last time i was in crowfoot liquors like the actual crowfoot one yeah they the, had a decent selection yeah on the left side it's it's good yeah when, man. He, when he ran <laughs> it it was so much better it was so good. He, I hadn't been in uh, Crowfoot. I was there probably three years ago. Well, you live in... Okay, that's when he would have been there. Yeah. And you and live was, in Acadia. Why would you ever go up there? It's well, a long way. Well, I used way. to live in Brentwood. I've oh, only okay, lived in Acadia sense. for the last two years. Makes sense why Mike would be your buddy then, because I never... Because he worked up at Highlander. Exactly. No, he's been on... He's been in the Marta Loop location primarily, but he jumps between Richmond, and he has spent some time at 16th as well. Right. Marta Loop's the... Marta Loop's the Marta good Loop's I the heard... Good uh, I don't want to talk about it on here. Anyways... <laughs> 
I heard some things happened at that store. Some dicey, some dicey things. Maybe it wasn't that one. No, it was the Seton one. One of the managers had been stealing for a whole long time. Oh yeah, I never even heard about that. A- ask, ask, ask him about that. See if he knows the story, because apparently it was like one of the managers had been stealing every day, like hundreds of dollars of wine. And I was like, yeah, oh, you might as well man. if you're getting paid minimum wage. Oh Jesus Christ. The uh, the other one that melts my mind for selection. Have you been to the uh, co-op on Twenty Fourth and Southland? Mm, yeah, the of liquor libraries. Yeah, Twenty Fourth and Southland is where their head office is. Oh, is that where it is? I thought that their head office was uh, right beside my house. No, like we've got the we have the liquor for store, gross... the cannabis, and the grocery, and then the huge glass co-op building right beside it. Yeah, the liquor buyer works at that oak ridge one. Oh no shit well that explains a lot because my god yeah upstairs they have a they what have... a friggin store holy hell yeah and they have the they have the liquor lockers is that what you're just talking about you can buy a locker there where you just like pay x amount and they'll just fill it with wine for you for the year and then like store it <laughs> which is all I'm right laughing because i used to do that with comic books you go to the comic book shop and you get your little bin and then every week that something new comes in that you really like they throw it in your bin and then you go collect every week or two weeks but oh that's cool yeah no comic book shops have been doing that for that's forever. a way better idea at a comic book shop yeah man no it's it's killer <sighs> i collected a few series of comics um and now i'm forgetting the most recent one that i collected the hip-hop it was this amazing series done by ed gill it was all in that very 70s comic book style and it detailed um the rise of hip-hop all the way from 1520 sedgwick anything to do with music and i'm 100 percent game oh really i love my music so i found these in the hard cover collection yeah like the uh what do they call those uh it's not i know trades do they call them trades I oh, think. Trades is a paperback. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, but yeah, they this, compile the issues into yeah, a single the collector shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so it was a it was a box set with from like uh, whenever seventy six to eighty two, and then eighty two to um, up to two thousand, and it's incredible. But I have a lot of the single issues as well, which are kind of prized possessions but it was so hard because it was um not a largely distributed comic yeah, limited releases are always hard yeah it, that's why i never got super huge into comics like i ended up i collected comics for a bit and then i just started reading them online because yeah. as much as i love collecting i am a diehard collector of all what things. do you collect oh christ uh first and foremost flavorings i've probably got close to 1000 cool food grade flavorings we can like, use those in stuff to eat too right yeah 100 percent. i use in my coffee all the time Amazing. man i make i can make candy i can make i can make anything that tastes taste like something else mm, we got i got some i got some ideas oh dude we'll talk no yep. i've got you need to see my i have a flavor wall i have a wall covered in 30 milliliter like um, yeah. ounce bottles every flavor you could ever imagine and if the flavor isn't in there I'm 95% confident that I could fake it. You can bend it. We talked about the bending. That's the thing. Like, you can fake almost anything with food-grade flavorings. People do not uh, give them enough credit. Um, These chemists that have devised these crazy profiles, and they've made them to play well with others. And that's what's mind-blowing. 
That's their life work. So, like, man, uh, flavors first and foremost. Second, uh, Magic the Gathering. Uh, oh, you still gather? Oh, dude, I still gather, man. I've I've been playing Magic since I was, like, eight years old. Oh, I know so many people that are trying to get rid of so many huge old boxes. Uh, like, I'm sending my way. I'll give them a good price. <laughs> yeah, you, okay. I hear you. And if I can't, I know someone who will. Well, because it's crazy because a lot of those old decks that people were collecting, there's a lot of really great cards in there that are you know you can't find in the new so you'd be astonished about uh they have this thing called the reserved list Mm -hmm. where they've basically since they started printing in like 1990 right they ban a lot of cards so they ban a lot of cards and then they realize for uh, tournament play post-production um that uh there was a huge collector's push so they have all these cards now that are on this reserved list, which Wizards of the Coast has sworn that they will never, ever print again, no matter what. So we will never see another print run of these cards. So when I started playing, like when I was like eight years old, I didn't give a shit about collecting. But as I got older, you start picking up some of these super expensive, super rare pieces. Right, because when you start young, that's right. when it was... Well, exactly. That's when it was cheap. Like, uh, for example, if anyone plays Magic the Gathering, there's the uh, Alpha Beta Unlimited Dual Lands. When I started playing, I picked up a set of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, I paid anywhere between $12 and $50 at oh. the top end per card. Yeah. Right now, the Underground Sea that I paid $17 for is worth $850 on the low end. It's incredible. Card- My, I have one deck that is worth about twice the value of my car and it was never worth that when i started like you gotta understand that i didn't pay into it like this no it's having it it's it's appreciated in value so much because like records that i collect yes oh are you a vinyl collector huge i'll take you downstairs i never i never showed you the basement my third collection okay i collect vinyl specifically post-rock okay but uh i collect a lot of vinyl i've got how big do you think your library is right now you know what it's not so again specifically it's post rock so i don't know if you're do you know the genre post rock no i'm like it's all instrumental shit like it's uh it's all stuff that to me at least has a lot of value on vinyl because of how it sounds generally there's no words generally it's all uh it's a rock band playing not rock music so like okay explosions in the sky if i've ever heard of them nope uh but i collect post rock vinyl and cool I've got is there one is there a grail that you're looking for no, I have it. The Grail for post rock, as far as I'm concerned, is called uh, it's uh, Palmless Prayer Mass Murder Refrain by this. It was a collaboration between two Japanese bands, uh, okay. World's End Girlfriend and Mono, and I got my hands on it and I had to order it from I think Bristol in the UK. Okay, it was the only place on the planet that had a copy at the time, and you can find them used. Mm-hmm. But you want it sealed. But it's hard to find a sealed copy. I had a sealed copy, but I fucking opened it. Post-rock, I feel like there's this one record that I've been looking for for so long, and I feel like it meets that genre. Lou Reed from, like, the Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He put out an album called Metal Machine Music. Okay. Where it's, like, instrumental yeah. rock and roll that's just, like, a fucking disaster. But it's awesome. And see, that's that's the shit that I love is the hot messes. Okay, that's you... your that's your new grail. Yeah, man, I gotta find that shit. It's it's like near impossible see, I'm to find. I'm big on to especially on vinyl anything that's instrumental. Like even mm. if it's just beats. 
Okay, I got I have a cool... several Beats albums too that are primarily used for DJing. Did you get the John Frusciante one? The no, guy... I didn't, but I would love to find it. Oh, I have it. No, I've got uh, I've got all of Daniel Dumille's stuff. So MF Doom, we were talking about him earlier yeah. with the flow. Uh, he does Metal Fingers, right. which is all his beats, and they all yeah. have names of spices and shit. And I've I've got a couple of the special herbs and spices. Yeah, those are great albums. They're terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, primarily again used for sampling, but you can just listen to them too. They're really good. Well, I'm a I do break beats and battle DJing, right? Ah, so well, there you go. Yeah, that's what yeah, I love. Yeah, so you're very familiar with Special Herbs, I'm sure. Yep, I've never bought one. If that's one. its name, I think that's its name. I'm pretty sure that's its I yeah. can picture it right now. It's yeah. like, almost looks like a Rizla pack or something. Another zigzag pack. Anyways, great. Yeah, they're 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 wicked. I've never actually bought one. I feel bad about saying that right now. I've stolen a lot of them on the internet. Uh, Gotta do I read this great post the other day that was, uh, what kind of pirate are you? Are you a R pirate or a Yo-Ho-Ho pirate? And the top comment was, uh, I'm not going to pay $1,200 for Ableton pirate. <laughs> yeah, I'm an internet pirate. I, I feel that. I showed a <laughs> lot of people. To me. I showed a lot of people, like, my cracked version of Ableton. People were blown away when I just started giving away Ableton to all these people. Oh, yeah, dude. It was... Uh, man, on a Mac, it's way easier than a PC. Oh, way easier. FS Aventur! Mad shouts. As, yeah, as, as long as you read my readme, here's Ableton. Exactly. Like, what? It's like, I, I was just talking to my roommate yesterday. I would kill to get into production. I love music. I've always you played want, music. You want your 10,000 hours? Oh, God. I would... Like, as we sit here right now, talking on these microphones looking at logic pro 10 this is what you really want to spend your time learning this video game when i have the time yes you'll see the thing is i've picked and this is i don't i don't know this is like just a personal opinion um i read this one book this one time that i was working for a real estate agent and i was doing all his graphic design and doing all that i was freelancing with him while i was going through university and he handed me a book by famed real estate legend Gary Keller called okay. The One Thing. And what Gary was basically saying was, listen, everybody has a skill, whether they know it or not. Okay. Do everything you can to hone that one thing. Get incredibly good at it. You can be good at other things too, but don't worry about it until you've perfected your one thing, then move on to your next one thing. Hmm. What he basically says is, if you have a shortcoming somewhere, if you have something that you don't quite understand, instead of doing it yourself, do what you're good at and find somebody. Find somebody to do it for Who you. can do it better. So, I mean, we live that with the business. I'm good at graphic design. I'm good at flavor design. I manufacture. I basically created all of our products. That's all from my head. But the business, the fact that our business even got off the ground was none of my doing. All the credit goes to uh, my partner at the time, Alan Ling. And now we have a new partner, Kevin Kim, who's just, he's also an absolute legend at just getting stuff done. Um, Being able to talk business, being able to close these deals, that's not something I'm built for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe very strongly in pick your one thing. Self-awareness is a superpower. Right draws back man i love how everything's coming full circle it's a great feeling um but really excel at your one thing and once you master that then move on to the next but Mm -hmm. don't bog yourself down trying to do everything because nobody can Mm -hmm. doesn't matter who you are you could be the single greatest self-employed entrepreneur on the planet you cannot do everything that's a hard thing to remember i think i it's a a huge fault i have a huge fault with that I did for the longest time too, and I wouldn't say it, it was actually probably until I met my current girlfriend Robin, who's really pushed me to excel at these certain things and to try to not worry so much about everything else. 
because it's we're human Mm -hmm. we're not these perfect creatures we can't excel at everything like i mean we both probably grew up around the same time we were always told you can be whatever you want Uh, we grew up in the age of everyone is the internet age right exactly everyone's a special snowflake everyone's a special perfect thing and we're not Mm-hmm. And I, I know that I had a hard time coming to terms with that growing up. But as soon as I realized that, hey, you don't need to be good at everything. It's far better to be good, like to be incredibly special and desired and, uh, for lack of a better word, revered for what you do at one thing than it is to just be pretty good at a handful of others. I would much rather be exceptional yeah. than to be solid. I, uh, that's a hard, I'm, I'm having a lot of, uh, internal conflicts with that. I feel like I'm really good at a lot of things. Absolutely. But I'm not like great at anything. Like I'm not like as far as like Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. But I almost feel like this is a stupid thing to say, but I feel like I'm like a master of the trades that I've chosen and a jack of none. And that's putting me back a huge step. Cause I wish I was like an expert at a few of them as opposed to like really good at a bunch of them. But yeah. maybe it culminates into what I've become. Well, that's kind of the thing you can't, like, as much as we can say, oh, my God, I wish I spent more time doing this. Like, I used to be, I say I used to be a musician. Yeah. Uh, I used to spend a ton of time on the piano. I used to write songs. I used to... Nice. Uh, We're going downstairs to jam after this. Done and done. Um, I actually have a song about smoking the dope in your apartment. It's called Ode to My Apartment. You might like it. Well, I know I will. <laughs> but uh, I I oftentimes look back on it with a lot of regret. Okay. Um, that I didn't spend more time playing music and stuff but at the same time in retrospect i also understand that if i had spent more time on music i would have lost out on other facets like when i got obsessed with flavoring uh, i'd let everything go to the wayside and that's what i obsessed over and uh at one point it seriously affected my schooling i managed to pull out and absolutely nail it but it was at immense personal struggle because i had let one thing kind of control it. But in hindsight, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't be who I am. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to, it's kind of tough to distance yourself from the decisions you've made. Totally. I quit. I I, I did nothing but make music for an entire year. Good. Good. Don't beat yourself up for it. That's, That's something that I know a dozen people who would kill for that opportunity at this point in their lives who literally can't felt great if they were to take that year off right now their career is out the shitter their family life is out the shitter all this stuff is just toast i don't know if that's a reality what's their career if they're not happy in it what's it worth well, that's not to say that they're not happy it's to say that if they were to take a year off they'd just get replaced yeah that's like fair. We're, we're at we're at a point in time with that's so fair with work that uh, we are not at the liberty that certain people were in the past where we could take um what do they call them sabbaticals yeah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, sabbatical. I have to ask if the word is sabbatical at nearly 30 years old because it's unheard of for this current generation. Like, we we don't have that time. 
I don't know. I feel like you got all the time in the world. I'm like, you're almost 30. You could do anything and fail so hard right now. And it literally wouldn't matter. It do- Failing doesn't matter until you have somebody else that relies on you. That's a very good point. I, I do thoroughly believe in that. Um, I just feel like uh, this current... And now every time I say this current generation, I am speaking absolutely from uh, anecdotal experience. Okay. I feel personally that that I don't have the time. Like, I don't know if it's just the way that I was raised or if it's the internet era, but everything is so immediate. Okay. um, That I almost feel like if you're not carving your niche, uh, what are you doing? Like you could be, you could be doing anything with the internet age. Oh, and that's, I mean, that's, there's your double-edged sword. You can do anything or nothing. People, the most famous celebrities, look at the Kardashians. I still don't understand what they did. They did nothing. I don't know. They fuck famous dudes. I don't know if it's just that I haven't spent enough time watching TV or on the internet or whatever, but I don't understand who and what they are. They're just people. There's like, where did the wealth come from? Uh, their dad is Bruce Jenner. Yes. No, I know that. became Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. And the mom, it's like a big lawyer or something. I don't know. Don't quote me on it. But there's just a bunch of money. I don't know. Just a whole bunch of money. Does money, does generational wealth really matter? They were just, they were, they just became famous for nothing. It's crazy. Like, it's it's mind-blowing how you can become famous for nothing. Who did Kim Kardashian have the sex tape with before she became Kanye West's, uh... Anyways. Uh, that was, uh... And Khloe Kardashian's a disaster, you know? She doesn't even like her baby daddies. Hey, Kendall's company just got smoked by, uh... Shit, I forget her name. Uh, Kendall Jenner was holding a record for one of the youngest entrepreneurs to hit... I want to say the first billion dollars? No. Oh, wow. A million dollars or something? I don't remember. Probably a billion. Yeah, it was it was a lot of money for a cosmetics company, and she actually recently just got... Uh, her oh, record yeah. was broken by another young woman who had started the cosmetics company, and she is just murdering it. Well, and Kendall all Jenner just came under her. some flack for something else. I don't remember at all. I don't spend enough time reading... And I'm like, man. I'm like, <laughs> who did Justin Bieber marry? Not Kendall Jenner. Haley Baldwin. Yes. He Justin Bieber married a, a Baldwin daughter. Like of the Baldwin fame? Yeah. Like Alec and Yeah, I think it's Alec's daughter. No way. Yeah. God, I didn't even know that. I hey can't... man, Bieber gets under so much flack. Like uh for for his music and stuff, but man, he, he quit music. He just quit music. Yeah. Cuz no, he's depressed. Uh, right. It ruined him. Well, would ruin anybody. 13, exactly. get found by Usher. Thank you. Next 15 years, you just get dragged around. In an absolute whirlwind, he didn't grow up. Watch that Avicii documentary. I saw... Oh, God, that breaks my heart. The, I was never a huge fan of his music, but it it just... That whole story... Levels was fucking sick. Hits me home so hard. Well, yeah, as soon as and I saw struggle, it... Man. I saw that brown guy. I saw that Persian dude or whatever. And I was like, this dude is the antagonist, and he's going to work Avicii to death. Five minutes in, I said, this guy's going to murder him. And uh, he did. Yeah. Straight. How that guy, if he was his homie, didn't feel like he murdered this dude to make money? No, he did. It's it's horrific. Like, it's that kid was literally worked into the ground until he literally had an existential crisis. And here we are. Yeah. No, he... And, he, and, and it's just rough that somebody took advantage of his work ethic. Absolutely. 
right? He just wanted to be the best. Man, how old was that kid when his first huge banger came out? He was like 16 or 17? I think he's 20, and 21 or 22. Was he? Oh, I thought he was super young. Levels hit at like 21, I think. That's crazy. I thought he was super, super young. But r- regardless, like for him to actually have acquired that level of um, skill and fame and popularity to be able to put out that stuff... He would have had to spend years. Like, again, 10,000 hours. Oh, yeah. I would bet money that kid had his 10,000 hours ages. Real ago. fast. Real fast. Well, you watch that documentary, and he's like, I just stayed up. I, he would stay up for 16, 18 hours. You know, as soon as just he left school. Beats, man. Yeah, like, just make beats. Everybody else in his... And he's... The best part about what he was doing was he was working in, like, a collective of people. And, uh, you know, everybody's making music in the apartment. And everybody else is going to bed, and he's like, I'm just going to finish my track. That's what yeah, makes and then suddenly better. everyone else is waking up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was willing to put in the work. And guess what? My fucking track is done with the idea that I started with. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Like it's. That's the trick to making music is finishing music. Dude, one hundred percent. As somebody who's written music in the past, the hardest thing is to finish a song. And like, even speaking as somebody who did fine arts, like I did a graphic design degree, and if you're going to do that at uh, UFC you have to uh, you have to go through fine arts. Mm-hmm. And that also means taking a whole bunch of other electives into other things that I wasn't interested in. I was interested in doing applied art. I was interested in working art, learning to use Photoshop, Illustrator, all that fun stuff like the back of my hand. I didn't give a shit about fine art. Mm-hmm. But the second you step your foot in fine art, uh, and any art for that matter, be it music, uh, even be it cooking or creating a recipe, like mm-hmm. I deal with the shit on the daily in... in uh, creating my flavors you need to know um on both sides when something is done and when to put it down um once you've spent too much time on something like if i go through uh 80 iterations of something i probably hit the perfect iteration at around 55 to 60 yeah and i did another 30 because i wasn't ready to give up on it or i wasn't content with the outcome sometimes the first one's even the best Dude, I've had, I have two flavors that are one and done. Like, two of our best-selling flavors, we made the first version, and I never made another one. It's like a lot of the drinks I do. I do the research. It happens, man. I figure it out, and it's like, there's only there's only so much that chemistry on a mixology level can, can give you. There's... 100%. How many liberties can you take? Right. It's the same thing. Like, uh, there's, there's this, it's the ongoing debate between uh, skill and natural talent. Okay. Um, I used to coach swimming, and we see this a lot in children uh, who are swimming. You have your kids who are naturally talented. Their bodies are built for swimming. Their muscle groups are spread out such that their Swimmer's body, body can friggin' move in the water. Mm-hmm. Then you have those other kids who aren't built like that. They're either uh, too big, too small, too gangly, um, but they're willing to put forth the effort. So I coached kids that were between the ages. I think the youngest kid I ever coached was eight. The oldest kid I ever coached at the time was three years older than me at 21. Um, And I say kid. But uh, you notice very, very quickly the discrepancy between the two, where they intersect, and then where they divide again. Right. And that's what makes an Olympian. Exactly. It is an Olympian is the combination between somebody built to do that and an absolutely unparalleled work ethic. I was a competitive gymnast for right most on. of my life. Yeah, so you're you're super familiar with that. You probably saw it all the time with those kids. The kids who were gifted, 
but being gifted only takes you so far. I quit because I got too tall. I maxed out the equipment when yeah, I was man. 13 years old. I was gifted. Just I was not physically built for the sport. And that happens all the time. Like uh, my sister was a, uh, I would call her, uh, I don't know if it's technically professional. She played water polo for okay. years since she was, God, probably 11 or 12 years old. And she made it as high as she possibly could before her height um, became a problem. She was too short. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because water polo is a tall person sport, it is. Yeah. You have to be huge because you got to get out of the water to get dude, over everybody. I played in a water polo tournament when I was 13 years old. Uh, I played on the Alberta two team because I was a competitive swimmer. I didn't play water polo. We played water polo like Thursday nights. They yeah, needed to bring a couple kids up to fill the team. Yeah, and we played against the Los Angeles water polo team. Where <sighs> water polo is huge in Los Angeles. Like, it's, oh yeah, these kids were this like is a rich person. 13 sport. years old with five o'clock shadows hair on their chest they were like bred for water polo these were guys who their parents parents played water polo and they've been part of the community for like ages and they got thrown against us friggin kids who played for fun but again like that's the that's the cascade of natural talent and skill when it both comes together you you see very quickly um again to do with the kids in swimming the kids with natural talent can only go so far Mm -hmm. before they need to kick in their work ethic there are so many kids that I coached that ended up absolutely schooling the fastest on average kid in the practice because that fastest on average kid wasn't willing to work. They no, just thought they were the best and they left it at that. Coasted on being the best because yeah. they were naturally Don't muscular. Don't ever be complacent. Yep. You're never the best. Prove that you're the best every day. Yeah, absolutely. Work for it. Earn it. Earn it. Earn Fucking it. Fucking earn it. Yeah. It's a hard thing to remember. I feel like even Absolutely. I get complacent. I'm complacent. Everybody right does, now. man. Everybody, it's it's natural. You can't. And I mean, here's here's the split side: is you can't go full bore 100 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've tried to do that many times. Like running this business, doing all this other shit. Like you burning out is real. The burnout is unavoidable. It yep. is a human thing that happens when we work ourselves and push ourselves too far. There you is get a to that limit. Point? Sorry? Do you think you should get to that point? Do you think you should burn yourself out as an entrepreneur? I've got a multiple of opinions on that. Okay. So I, I've got kind of like a split-sided approach. Um, with, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, know your limits, stay within it. And mm-hmm. at the time we were talking it in reference with alcohol and cannabis. Know your limit, stay within it. To know your limit, you have to push the envelope at least once. You have to have that one bad experience. Okay, yeah, fair. Like fair. to know what your limit is, to know how far your body can take you, to know how much, like even in the case of just drinking a couple beers, you need to know how many beers it is before you're totally screwed. Yeah. So that you can impose self-control. Without that limitation, you need to know how far you can take it. I'm going to say the same thing with burning out. If you're an entrepreneur and you've never been burnt out, you're doing it wrong. You're not really an entrepreneur. Right. Every entrepreneur needs to have that experience of that terrible feeling of absolute hopelessness when you've pushed yourself so far that you don't know if you can push yourself anymore. You go to bed, you wake up, you do it again. 
Yeah, there I is. firmly believe that everybody needs to go through that experience at least once so that they know what it feels like, <laughs> so that they know how far to push themselves. Because the reality of the situation is, is when you're burnt out, you're functioning at 30% capacity. You might think that you're getting a whole bunch of shit done, but if you were well-rested, if you were not stressed out, you would be getting so much more stuff done. You're going to be thinking so much clearer, so much quicker about all these different things. And uh, it's... Don't burn yourself out. Okay. Ah, God. If you're burnt out right now, what do you, what's your advice? Man, take a breath. Take chill. a deep breath and just chill. Figure it out. Realign. Yeah, figure it out. Realign. Recenter yourself. Uh, mindfulness. Fucking smoke a joint about it, man. Yeah. Do anything you have to do to reset yourself such that you can um, reassess the situation uh, from a more grounded standpoint. Because... Uh, nobody functions burnt out yeah that's fair like the second you have earned the term burnt out you're you're speaking of that i need another dab keep talking i like what you're saying a lot so uh, all i'm trying to say is basically like uh to know your limit you have to hit the upper echelon the upper boundaries like you, you have to push it but that being said as soon as you know your limit do your damnness to never hit that again yeah, because it's not that fun being... Yeah, you need a balance. Like, life is about, balance. at least, again, personal philosophy. Everything in moderation, even moderation. It's okay Word. to push the oh, envelope sometimes, man. I like that. It's okay to go too far. It's okay to have a good time. It's okay to... Feel free to get fucked up. up. sometimes. Yeah, feel free to get fucked up. Just don't do it all the time. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, sometimes. man. Like, everybody needs whatever your release is, whatever your vice is. Even if you don't have vices, just take a friggin' minute to yourself sometimes. Not all the time. Like, I'm not, like, for... I, I'm a gamer, for example. I love playing my video games. What I are don't, you playing right now? Breath of the Wild. I finally oh, jumped on... Dope, hey? My girlfriend got me a Switch for my birthday. I haven't played a casual game in like six years i've been doing nothing PC but gamer or what? oh yeah. yeah yeah exactly you look like a pc kind of guy <laughs> i'll put I up a picture of milan don't worry but uh you guys will be like yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> fucking 4k talking about PC it master world. race <laughs> but uh i spent so long i got obsessed with roguelikes and those like one life roguelike life or sorry roguelike games like uh you're talking about uh binding of isaac slay the spire those are the two that i've played a lot of recently um diablo 3 on hardcore any of those i love diablo 3 on hardcore it's what i'm saying by that is uh it's it's these games if you haven't played them where basically uh once you die your game's over you don't have a save file you can't return to it do you want a puff of this yeah sure yeah i have a little one uh it's like runescape when you went into the into the wilderness and if you lost all your stuff was dropped and you're just done you get to restart it's not even all your stuff is dropped your character in its entirety is just toast your save file's gone if you die if you had saved previously and you die that's it how how heartbreaking is that moment it's crushing and it's super stressful i don't even know why i was playing this shit as a dude with terrible stress levels and crazy anxiety i don't know why i was putting myself through this (coughs) sounds like the worst case scenario yeah so my girlfriend went ahead and the sweetheart she is she bought me (coughs) the first console i think i have ever received as a gift because my parents would never buy me a console when i was a kid ever your parents immigrants 
no both born and raised edmonton no they just they believed in me getting outside talking to people face to face they didn't want me spending hours and hours and hours in front of a computer 2019 would fuck them up hey oh absolutely man i would have been toast (laughs) so (laughs) i mean logically the second i was old enough to buy any of that shit i was one of the kids who camped outside for the playstation 3 Right. I got first day PlayStation 3 with a buddy of mine. But we, you worked at Future Shop. I worked my ass off to get that PlayStation 3 because they would never buy it for me. I remember that PS3 day. Everything too. I had was uh, like either hand-me-down or something. So anyway, she buys me the Switch, and I've been reintroduced to casual gaming. Feels good, hey? Dude, it feels better than gaming has felt in a decade. How much do you like your Switch? The fact that you can take it to bed might be dangerous, though. Yo, I play Breath of the Wild before bed every night. Either I play Breath of the Wild or Robin's playing Diablo 3 with me. Not on hardcore, I might add. But it's fun on the console. It feels different. It feels like a... Diablo on the console is probably a lot more fun. It's it's a lot more fun. It doesn't feel as serious. It doesn't feel like I'm... Uh, it doesn't feel like I'm losing. Because <laughs> that's the problem with a lot of the games that I played was... Uh, it's so rare to win a lot of these games. If anyone's played Slay the Spire, you lose like 8 out of 10 games you play, and that's not a good feeling. I've never heard of this game. Can you tell me about the concept? So it's... uh, <laughs> uh Have you ever played Binding of Isaac? No, you sound like some intense gamer games. Binding of Isaac is a ton of fun. Beautifully made. Uh, but Slay the Spire is basically a deck-building game. So there's three characters. Each character starts with, I don't even remember how many cards in their deck. It's either 10 or 12 or something. But each character starts with the same cards. You play a card game on the computer? Yeah, dude. I'm such a fucking nerd. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's. <laughs> I've played lots of these games. It's just been a long time. Yeah. So you basically build a deck after every floor you climb. Is each... it turn-based? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely, okay. it's turn-based. So it's it's like you got to think the whole time. You got to be thinking five steps ahead. You got to be. It's so involved, and the game is designed to make you fail. Like it's a game that you're supposed to feel incredible for winning, and losing is supposed to be par for the course. Like sounds of, like more kids should play this game. Oh God, it's. I mean, there's something to be learned from the Slay the Spire. It is a lesson <laughs> in patience and friggin' planning, <laughs> realistically speaking. It's how, so hard. How can you rig it so that you can become an expert? How can you rig it so that you start winning? Know your shit. It's it, all about just knowing the game? It's knowing the game, man. Like, you gotta know what cards might come up, what might not, what events you might hit, what events you might not, what enemy could be coming up, what... Uh, this is the hardest part for me about playing video games now. Yeah, dude. Is... I don't have I, the time to learn it anymore. Yeah, I don't want to commit... Yeah. ...that time to being good at a video Nobody's game. Nobody's got time for that. Like, Destiny... Oh, I didn't even pick it up because I knew it would be a problem. That's a dead. Yeah, I, I, was... I loved Borderlands, and I was told that uh, Destiny is basically like primo haute couture Borderlands. Oh yeah, and In that 4K. got me so friggin' hyped. But I never picked it up because of that. I would have lost. And hours all of, of my, my life. friends played it too. This is the worst. <sighs> and that problem. doesn't help. If you log on to to a game and there's eight people that you actually enjoy talking to playing that same game you're stuck you just there goes the next 18 hours well you're just hanging out with your homies yeah man that and that's the that was the best and worst part about online gaming was i could hang out with my homies at my own house smoke my own weed drink my own beer yeah dude never have to fucking see the guy that i kind of enjoy for like an hour i really only get his hour of actual interaction because he's in my club thing like the single serving friends 
I haven't seen Fun Club in, in enough time that I don't remember that moment. Oh, me. dude, it's one of, like, I mean, Fight Club is notoriously loved by everyone in our generation. <laughs> Every male in our generation, Fight Club's in their top ten. Uh, but there's, he basically says, uh, crap, I might even totally be misquoting this. Uh, but Tyler Durden basically explains this thing about single-serving friends on an airplane. Oh, somebody's at the door. I gotta pause it. I gotta pause it. I bet it's the flowers. Oh, God. That was the doorbell. She came and got her flowers. It was actually the daughter. It was kind of a sad story. But she got her flowers, and she was really, really happy. That nice I tight bow on that one. Accepted her flowers. That was good. That was a good timing. You had to pee. I think, uh... I think we should clock it out. This is a nice long podcast. I think we're probably at two and a half hours, three sure. hours now. Christ. I know people I might. I think I could talk that long. Well, you can. See, and you were scared to be on the podcast. Yeah, man. Real talk. And you killed it. Easy peasy. It was fun. It's a blast. It Maybe... was a ton of fun. Maybe we'll even do part two. Ah, I'd love to. Okay, bring that mic close to your mouth and tell people Oops. if you had a microphone and you could tell the entire world something, what would you tell them? I said it before and I'll say it again. Just be excellent to each other. Don't be a dick. There's, you gain nothing. Be excellent. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take you out on that moment. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for drinking Absolute beers with me. Pleasure. Thanks for having buds with me. Um, yeah. Cheers to you, Milan. Cheers, my man. Where can people check out you? Plug yourself. Plug the vape stuff. Yeah. Hit so, um, I mean, uh, my company has Instagram at True Northern Vape. Um, you can find us at truenorthern.ca if you ever want to buy our e-liquid project or products. Check out some of our profiles. Uh, I'm on Instagram at staydownchampion, but uh, God, I haven't updated that in ages. <laughs> and I'm gonna throw it out there too. If you listened all the way to the end, the first person who vapes that DMs either of us on Instagram. What was your Instagram again? Stay down champion. Stay down champion. I think that's what it is. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> if you hit the cannabis psalm, hit the up, cannabis psalm. He'll tell me. DM me. The very first person to DM me who's a vapor, we're gonna hit you with a little sample pack, and you'll be able to try some of these crazy flavors. Done and um, done. Yeah, Milan. Thank you so much for being here. Absolute pleasure, my man. Cheers to you. Uh, Cheers, man. Chat soon.